0: It's probably, like, late 93 or early, very, very, very early 94. People start, like, coming in and asking if we have this, if we have magic. Some guy comes to this big guy, and he's like, do you have, you know, Magic the Gathering? I'm like, I'm like no. I And the guy kind of just picks me up by, like, my lapels and, like, kind of, like, shakes me. Not because he's mad at me, but, like, that he's just upset. He's like, why can't I? Find this fucking game (laughs) sort of stomps off and i was like glenn we need to order magic the gathering right (laughs) (laughs) we we can't get any uh all of this is sort of somewhere between the release of beta and unlimited in new york
1: hello and welcome to the first episode of the new year this week we've got the legendary Brian David Marshall. Brian, or BDM, is full of stories like the one you just listened to. He was an absolutely incredible guest, and we spanned the gamut. We talked about everything that covered Brian's career, whether it was the magic stuff, the coverage, the years on the road, the growing up with magic at neutral ground, but also, this is kind of a an ode to Brian's comic book career. Brian's a lifelong comics fan, and he certainly has lived a lot of his life through comics and magic. Along the way, Brian gives a lot of interesting comments about magic now versus magic then and magic into the future. Incredibly honored to have this conversation with Brian. Brian is just wonderful lovely to talk to. I've also included timestamps with this episode, so you feel free to jump around and listen to the topics that you would like. But if you can commit two and a half hours to listening to the legendary BDM, I highly recommend it. An absolute joy to talk to. Without further ado, Brian David Marshall. Thank you for tuning in to the audio version of Humans of Magic. This project is a labor of love, and I do it on a part-time basis. I wanted to let you know about all the ways that you can support the project. Number one, tell a friend. If you like the content, please pass it on and let others know about the pod. I'm always looking for new listeners. Number two, subscribe to the Humans of Magic YouTube channel. The video version of the podcast is the best one because you can see my guests, you can see all their fun expressions, and it's awesome. Go to humansofmagic.com and find all my social links there, including YouTube. That's humansofmagic.com. Last but not least, I have a Humans of Magic Patreon at patreon.com/slash/humansofmagic. Totally optional but your direct support goes a super long way. Patrons will have access to my exclusive Discord chat and will have the ability to suggest future guests. If you like the sound of that, head on over to patreon.com/humansofmagic. Once again, thank you for being a fan and thanks for listening. Let's get to this week's episode. Brian, how are you doing tonight?
0: I'm doing great, James. I'm glad we get a chance to do this. Uh, We've talked about it for a little while.
1: I'm so excited. I, to be honest, I woke up two hours earlier than I usually do because I was like, while I was sleeping, I was actually, I think my brain was functioning and I was thinking about all the questions I'm going to ask Brian. And I, I was just like trying to figure things out, but it's so hard because you have such a, such a. Background of experience, just a wealth of like history and experience. Like, has anyone ever been like starstruck just talking to you, or like super nervous talking to you about magic? Uh,
0: I, I mean, apparently, I've ha- I've, ha- I've heard people tell me stories. So, like, I I uh, I got a story from Corbin Hostler, who now writes the week that was, which is the column I started for wizards of the Coast a number of years ago, and Corbin. Um, when he first joined the coverage team was apparently a fan of mine and was really, I don't know if starstruck's the right word, but really excited to meet me and really looking forward to it. And, um, and I kind of, you know, wandered in a little hungover and grumpy and said (laughs) some incredibly inappropriate thing about what I would be willing to do to get a diet Mountain Dew right now. Uh, and (laughs) like with Corbin, like about a foot behind me, and that was his his introduction to me. So I don't know if starstruck's the right word, but certainly, uh, you know, dis- disappointed okay. fan or two along the way. <laughs>
1: Maybe a <laughs> little bit more intimidated after now. the after the diet diet Mountain Dew. Is, is, that, is that is that your go to? Is the diet Mountain Dew? Is that still uh, no, what you I'm. Do, or?
0: My I'm a I'm I'm black coffee, uh, iced cold brew from Starbucks. You know, it was, it was really funny when I was doing the the tournaments. Uh, I would end up with like four or five Trenta cold brew. Black coffees. Trento is like the secret extra largest size at Starbucks, and because uh, people would just be like, "Oh, I never heard I'm of bright? Trento. This is amazing." Oh, yeah, it's secret. Yeah. it's it's like the off menu size, and uh, you can sit in it actually. Um, and uh, people would just bring, you know, like Paul Chian would be like, "Oh, hey, I got it. I got you, you know, your thing," and you know, someone else would come, and so I'd end up having like three or four of those. But so that that's really my drink choice, but. Sometimes when you're in a convention center, something before the proliferation of Starbucks and other um, diet Mountain Dew was like my my go-to caffeinated beverage. I
1: have I, I didn't even know there was a diet Mountain Dew. I've got to try it. Like I, I've only had the vanilla it's, regular one.
0: It's it's I mean it's it's whatever it is, right? It's it's fine. Um, yeah. yeah. It, it's it's uh, it, it's weirdly uh, a drink that I was aware of because when my my brother. When we were young, he was uh, diagnosed as a diabetic, and uh, Mountain Dew was his favorite soda. He loved Mountain Dew, and uh, he was really upset that there wasn't a diet Mountain Dew; it didn't exist at the time. And he, he, you know, sort of enlisted my help, and we wrote a business letter to Pepsi. You know, oh, like, like, hey, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm you know, whatever he, whatever he was, right, eleven years old, you know, and I'm, I'm a diabetic, and I really love you know, Mountain Dew, but I'm not able to drink that anymore, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, he's like, I, is there something I could do to convince you to make a Diet Mountain Dew? Yeah, it did happen for years and years and years, but at the time they, they sent back a really nice letter and lots of Pepsi products. And, but so, so I'm always, I'm always just very aware of Diet Mountain Dew. I don't know. I don't know if maybe it's not some beverage that other people, but I have a, I have a strong emotional connection to it, through my brother.
1: Hey, I like to think that you and your brother had something to do with the formation of Diet Mountain Dew. That would be something to have on your Wikipedia page.
0: My brother, my brother (laughs) certainly uh, uh, was was known to kick some ass. So.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, How's your brother doing now? Uh,
0: So um, my brother passed away this year, actually. Oh, I'm Uh, sorry. Yeah, no, it's okay. Um, Yeah, he just complications from diabetes and from a couple strokes and, uh, he, uh, er, er, earlier this year and, and, and around my birthday, actually, he, uh, he passed away. It was, uh, yeah, that was difficult. And so, you know, that, that's kind of maybe why I was feeling a little wistful about that. Too. So. Yeah.
1: Yeah. My, my condolences. Oh, thank um, you. uh, did you just have, uh, just one brother or you have multiple siblings? That,
0: that was my, that was my, uh, my, my one, uh, sibling growing up, uh, but, you know, I've always been a huge believer in found family, uh, you know, and so I have, uh, there's a handful of people I consider, uh, my brothers and sisters and, uh, you know, <laughs> ex- extended family that, uh, has has been uh, really great for me and really great to me throughout this year. You know, they they knew that they are yeah. and they been tremendous uh, support system for me.
1: Yeah, that's that's tremendous. Like I I think sometimes when you have um, really good friends, they just kind of become family, right? Like yeah. it, it, there's people that you can just talk to anything about. Like you can talk to them about anything. Like yeah. sometimes, like I have one brother, and I, sometimes I can't talk to my brother about even certain things that I would tell like some of my best friends. Right. Cause it's just, it's all contextual. Right.
0: So. Yeah. I, I've been, I've been very lucky. You know, I know a lot of people over the last couple of years have, um, had <laughs> politics come up in such a way that their, that their family, that they've, they've lost friendships with their family. Uh, and mm. I've been very lucky with my family to not have that happen. Uh, and, uh, but, but, yeah, the, 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 the extended family, the people that you gather around you as you sort of roll through life, you know, the, the, the people that are, you know, in the comic book store the first time you walk in there, who you're, you know, you know, who, who you know, the, the, the person yeah. who is always on the pinball machine, you know, you would go into when you would go to that bar and you'd, you'd end up, you know, talking to, you know, those people are, are um, that's a special kind of family. And, and and I think it's a I think that's a special kind of family, especially somehow that magic players can really understand. I, I really you see you see a lot of those types of relationships, a lot of these kind of pods of people that form around um, around people in the game.
1: Absolutely, um, just bonding over a common topic, and I think like exactly the point where you meet your friends or people who become really good friends later there's a kind of ca- time capsule, right? It's like yeah. a part of you and that person is always in that, I guess this sounds kind of comic booky, which is also kind of appropriate, right? It's like, <laughs> there's a part of you and them that like, forever stays in that period. Like when you first talk to them about, I don't know, Spider-Man or like some superhero, or like you first had that connection with pinball, it's, yeah. uh commit your
0: first crime. It's absolutely wonderful. There, Sometimes
1: you can just like not ever talk to them for a couple of years, and then you you meet them again and just kind of like pick right back up, right? I think that happens yeah. a lot.
0: Yeah, I'm. And we're having um a couple over this weekend, and uh, it's a, a a woman I've known since I was probably like fourteen or fifteen, and you know we were you know sort of both reading comic books, <laughs> at, you know at the same time, and you know sort of forged a friendship that's endured for decades, you know? And,
2: uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. And, you know, same thing, right? Some people are like, Oh yeah, I haven't talked to you in a while. Oh, let's catch up. Let's dinner. Let's do this. But, but there's also the people that you'll, you'll meet that way that you talk to every day. Right. And that's, that's, uh, that's something pretty special. For sure. And that magic is magic is weird for me because I came to magic later than I think most people I'm a little older than, than, than most of my contemporaries. Uh, yeah. you know, not, not a ton, but a little bit and, uh, you know, and magic really came along at a point where I think you're not expected to make lifelong friends anymore. You know, like when you're in your twenties, you're kind yeah. of, like, you know, you're kind certain of like, age, yeah, you, certain age you're, you're supposed you're to not done.
1: have, make good friends
0: anymore. Yeah. you know, Maybe you make a gym yeah. friend, maybe you make a golf friend, maybe you make a this friend, but, but, you know, magic is just like, you know, that's like the fire hose of friends. <laughs> So, you know, there's so, so many people yeah, I've yeah. met since I, since I started uh, playing the game. So,
1: How did you find magic initially? Like, what was your story?
0: So, my background is comic books. Uh, I, when I was a teenager, I became obsessed with comics. Uh, I have a signed copy of Uncanny X-Men 141 which is the first chapter of days of future Past somewhere around here and bought it off the newsstand had always been into comics and in and out of comics. Um, But uh, that comic was like, wow, this is, it just blew my mind. Right. Everything about it from the cover to the story to the art, everything just clicked for me in this way. And I, and I couldn't wait for the next issue to come out. because it's a two point story. And the newsstand had no idea when it was coming out or what was going on. And, you know, and so I kind of just figured out, you know, maybe I looked in the yellow pages, maybe I talked to somebody, but figured out that there were comic book stores, you know, and so found a a comic book store in my neighborhood and went there and they were like, Oh yeah, X-Men 142, that's going to be out in two more weeks, you know, or a week and a half or whatever it is coming on Wednesday. And, you know, walking through the threshold of that, comic book store by crossing into that from, from the street into this space is like transformative, right? My entire life changes the moment I cross that threshold, um, you know, I met, you know, multiple people who I'm, I'm still like, you know, my, my family or my family today, I, you know, um, but I also just, you know, was like, oh, comics, this is pretty cool. You know, just to being right so I you know, I was like, I'm going to, you know, what I'm going to do, I'm going to make comics. I was like, I don't I don't remember how old I am at this point. I'm probably, I'm probably around fourteen or fifteen. Uh, I said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna work in a comic book store. I get a job in a comic book store. I'll, I'll work for free if I have to. You know, I don't really care. And eventually, I'll meet somebody in the industry, and then I'll offer to work for them for free. <laughs> right? I'll intern at their comic book company. And then when, you know, somebody screws up and doesn't turn in a script on time or whatever, right? I'll pounce on that opportunity. You'll be right there. You'll
1: be right there. I'll be right there. there. Yeah.
0: And, um, it, it kind of worked out exactly that way. It was really weird. You know, like I, I started working in this comic comic book shop, comic book scene. I have the pin like right over here, but I don't want to. Is this in New York
1: or? This was in
0: Brooklyn, in Brooklyn, New York. Um, it's, it's not there anymore. It was a, a small shop run by a <laughs> character, as many things in Brooklyn were at the time, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, went to work for the store, you know, made, made a ton of friends and uh, got, you know, really deeper and deeper into comics, really expanded what I thought of as comics, and read a lot of really cool stuff, um, and then met this guy, Dave Singer, and Dave was starting a comic book company. He had the, he was doing a book called Wally Woods Thunder Agents. Which was based on an old Tower Comics property called the Thunder Agents. And he had uh George Perez, who was drawing Teen Titans at the time, and Keith Giffen, who was drawing, who was doing Legion of Superheroes at the time, and Roy Thomas, who was like the successor to Stan Lee at Marvel, and Steve Ditko, who created Spider-Man with Stan Lee, and You know, I I don't even remember everybody else, but all, and Dave Cockrum, who created the new X-Men, all doing stuff for him at this new comic book company. And I was like, wow, this is awesome. This is like the all-star
1: team right here. And it's three
0: blocks from my house. It's literally his his office was just like an apartment he rented in this building (laughs) on East... I think it was East 12th street. I want to say in Brooklyn. I, I grew up on East 8th street. So, so for, you know, six blocks, four blocks. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and he was like, yeah, we, we definitely need, you know, an intern. And I'm like, great. And so I will come <laughs> out to school every day.
1: <laughs> Forget school. Who cares? I, I,
0: I will be here, you know, and, um, and it was, it was crazy. Right. I was, I was, you know, again, I, a kid, and I'm just, like, sort of hanging out there, and, you know, everyone's much older than me, and much more nerd-savvy, you know, people are, like, starting to talk about, like, the name of the spaceship in Alien, and I'm like, wait, you know the name of the spaceship in Alien? What do you mean? You know the names of directors (laughs) of movies? Oh, weird. I never thought, you know, and so, like, it was this real educational process for me, and, and I got to, you know, meet my uh, heroes. I got to meet Steve Ditko. I got to meet Murphy Anderson. I got to meet George Perez. I got to meet uh, Dave Cockrum and Paddy Cockrum. I got to, you know, uh, it was it was it was kind of you know wild and heady. And then, uh, and then I, I got to write a, a story. I got to someone. <laughs> I think Roy Thomas backed out of working with them, and they needed a script for something. And I got to I got to fill in for Roy Thomas on a on a on a comic book story you know, I got to, I got to, I got to write it.
1: What was that story? What did you write about and how was was your process? It was,
0: it was, um, it was Wollywood's, it was the main type. It was the main story. Wollywood's Thunder Agents was a 48 page comic that would have like, like two short stories and one main story. The Thunder Agents were, were a superhero team. Uh, You know, uh, very, very much men from uncle era. Uh, You know, it's T dot H dot U dot N dot. You know, Thunder Agents. I don't remember what it stands for. Yeah, and I, yeah, and I got, I got, to, I got to write the write story. So they, the they needed. Uh, I, I think the story had been written into a corner. There was a cliffhanger, and they needed a solution. And uh, I came up with, um, I didn't trust myself to write the dialogue. So I, I plotted out the story, which is where um, a Marvel style script. So. Uh, A DC style script is a script where you write all the action. You break down what's in every panel. You include all the dialogue. You tell the artist exactly what to draw at every step along the way. Uh, Marvel style script is more collaborative. It's kind of like, okay, on this page, Spider-Man's going to start in the park and then he's going to end up here. And then, cause on the next page, he's going to be fighting Doc Ock. And, you know, this is the kind of banter that happens and it can be a little looser. So I, I, I wrote a, Um, I had had to go to someone else's house to use a computer. I didn't have a computer at the time, right? Like I had a, I think think we had a typewriter, but like, you know. I was going to say
1: typewriter, yeah.
0: We we definitely had a typewriter, but I was nervous. And and so a friend of mine was talking to me about word processing. Again, this is, this is in the eighties. So like, you know, this was still a fairly new thing. And so the idea that you could move stuff around and change and edit was, was, I used my friend uh, Dorian's computer. I remember, and, and, and wrote it and printed it out. and Yeah, it got, uh, you know, it got, it got drawn by, geez, who, who drew, was, did Rich Buckler? Yeah, Rich Buckler drew the comic. So Rich Buckler was someone who worked on Fantastic Four and the Avengers. And I have some, some pretty funny stories about ultimately, but uh, probably not fit for this podcast. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah. yeah, and, and, then I started, you know, writing comics I uh, and was promoted to an editor, you know, again, I'm still in high school and I got promoted to an editor at the comic book company, uh, was corresponding with all of this talent, heartbreaking story, I am going through the slush pile. And stop me if I go wander and digress too much because I can.
1: No, this is all about digressions. <laughs>
0: okay, so good, good, This good. is what I this want. Is, if we only talk owned. about magic,
1: this podcast will be an absolute <laughs> failure. That's what I tell all my guests. It'll be a failure if we only talk about magic. So. All
0: right. So I get my, my one of the things like, hey, you got to go through the slush pile, right? What so is the slush pile? Slush I don't even know what that is. Slush pile is if you just send a cult submission to a, a book publisher or a comic book company um, it gets thrown on the slush pile. I don't know what the origin is, right? But like it's like here's this pile of stuff that people have sent us. And you know what? Most of the time it's terrible, right? Or most of the time it's really primordial, even if even if it's good, you know, and it really needs a ton of work. And but sometimes you you find a gem in there, right? And like sometimes something comes, that stands out, and you're just like, holy cow, I can't believe this person just like slipped this under the door. And so you you, you know, it's 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 not a it's not an exciting job because you got to trudge through a lot of stuff, but I was like, okay, I'll do the slush pile. You know, and I, and I was really diligent back then. about, you know, and this was all on a typewriter. You know, like typing out letters and saying thank you for your submission. And um,
1: wow! And I, and I get yeah. to
0: one, and I'm like, no. Can't wait, and I read the cover letter, and it's from Jerry Siegel, the creator of Superman. The right the man who wrote Superman and created Superman who invented the comic book industry, essentially, right? The, the superhero genre as we know it. And, and it's just he's just like, hey, here's my I wish I could remember the name of it. I wish I'd kept my files from 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 work when I left there. Uh he it's like it's it was the something, the red mask, M-A-S-Q-U-E. And it it was, it was, a you know, maybe a little corny or maybe a little retro feeling, right? Like it was definitely, had a very golden age vibe about it, but it was, it was cool. And it was Jerry freaking Siegel, right? Can I curse here? What's the, what's the cursing? You can
1: say anything. Uh, Yeah. yeah, There's no policy. Jerry
0: fucking Siegel. Holy fucking shit. Like, (laughs) and I'm like, and I, so I write him a letter. I'm like, oh my God, Jerry Siegel. You know, I'm sitting here, I'm working in comics. I wouldn't be here doing this if you don't create superman this is such an honor to to, to be writing to you as how do we how do we make this happen right how do we do this book i would i would love to do this book i am way out over my skis here by the way at this moment right like doing this i'm like um i'm like you know i think jerry ordway is an artist that we've been started working with and jerry has this great golden age aesthetic I would love to reach out to Jerry Ordway and see if he wants to draw this. I think that we, you know, we, we really lean into, you know, this, this kind of retro futurism kind of look and feel Mm -hmm. for it. And, you know, and he sends me back a letter and he's like, oh my God, thank you so much. You know, I've gone through this, you know, you would not believe how hard it's been for me to find someone who's interested in doing this. And, and, and by the way, I've just not talked to my boss about this, right? I've just,
1: (laughs) You're just like, I'm going to make this happen. I'm just going
0: to make this happen. And, uh, and sure enough, you know, I'm just confident, right? Like that this is going to be like, and Dave, who's, uh, Dave was a very, he he was one of those guys, man, ah, heartbreaking to think about this. He was like, he was so into what was modern, what was new, right? The Mm -hmm. new hotness, you know what I mean? Like whatever Mm -hmm. it was, right. He, everyone he had taken into the company to work on, the 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 titles that you know was was someone who was on the cutting edge of what people were doing in comrade george Perez Dave cockham keith giffen etc i i don't know some reason hired me but you know i wasn't right you know so i was just like uh, and he he made me write a letter to to jerry siegel you know he was like look you have to tell him we can't do this book and we're we're not interested and uh and you should apologize for wasting his time And, and i and i did and I got a, this super gracious letter back from Jerry Siegel. He's like, look, I, I understand. He's like, I kind of thought this would happen. You know, like, I, I don't expect <sighs> anybody wants me to do it. Like, and, and, and that uh, event sort of likes the fuse for me that, like, I can't really work for people. Right, like oh, I had this really clear vision yeah. of something that I wanted to do, that I I, I know would have been well received. Like and, in your
1: heart, you knew yeah, you I knew this was the right project. I knew, yeah.
0: and so, um, I I started making plans to, to start my own comic book company at that point, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, and and I and I, I don't know, and I don't remember the details. I don't know. I I guess all of that. You know, it wasn't like you had like a, you know, you could email your contact list to yourself. I think we had like a Rolodex at the office that had all the, so I didn't have it. And when I left, it was, you know, not under the best terms, you know, uh, so I didn't have, and I know, I didn't know how to get in touch with Jerry Siegel. I I, I guess, I don't even know, mm-hmm. you know, because I would have certainly done something. But I, I started my own comic book company, which was a company called Eternity Comics, and did that for a few years. Uh, we published a, a number of books and, Again, a, a, an amazing time in my life in terms of, you know, making some 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 lousy comics, some great comics, some really like kind yeah. of like by the seat of your pants, just trying to figure out how to do stuff. Comics um, made some great friends, and eventually um, didn't want to move to California. The company with the the, the person who helped, who funded the the company for us and started it was rolling up. Two companies into one company out in L.A. I was the vice president mm-hmm. of the company at the time, uh, but but did not want to did not want to move. Uh, so mm-hmm. stayed stayed in New York. Sold my sold my interest in the company off, mm-hmm. and uh, that company eventually becomes Malibu Entertainment, which oh, is a company that wow. published. Um, Yeah. That got bought by by Marvel comics a few years later.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: And then, uh, but, uh, that's a period
1: I remember. Yeah. 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 Oh
0: yeah. So that was, uh, and, and so I, I was out of comics for years. I, I started working in public relations, which was, uh, you know, sort of, I, I, when I was, before I got into comics, I was like, Oh, maybe I'll become a lawyer. And then I didn't want to be a lawyer mm-hmm. anymore and so I started uh and moved in a direction of, of wanting to do public relations.
1: Did you continue and going to school while you were building uh, Eternity? Or I, did you just I I, I
0: I was always a good test taker, James. So I was okay. always a good test. You knew test-taker. what it took to pass. So um, so I could the, I could I kind of uh, I I yeah, I mean I could digress off the digression into stories you know, <laughs> digress I, I off the way through yeah. school, but um, so anyway, yeah, so I I go into I start working in public relations and it's miserable. It's just miserable. Everything is just about like lying right and I you know, it's, to me it's just about telling a story right that's this is what I tell myself as I'm going into it. It's like, oh, you're gonna tell a story, you're gonna talk about this product, you're gonna talk about this person, you're gonna talk about this company and you're gonna you're gonna promote them. but it really it's just about like finding this like vulnerable point in a competitor, or exploiting mm-hmm. some 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 weakness and it was it was so predatory it was so miserable and i uh, quit a succession of jobs at the three biggest pr firms um, mm-hmm. hill and Knowlton, barston marstaller and oh, man a, a medical pr firm that was kind of the worst mm-hmm. uh within like 2 months i, went boom, boom, boom. I was just out.
1: Wow. And okay. what just didn't work, fit your compass.
0: Didn't fit. No. And then I went to work doing public relations for a nonprofit agency for a couple of years, but all the, all the while now we're, we're, we're into the 90, early 90s, early nineties now. um, You know, Malibu is doing really well. I'm like, ah, that stinks. I mean, good for them, but you know, um, <laughs> I'm like, ah, yeah. and I just kind of was like, man, I really want to get back into comics. And I, how do I do this? You know, how do I get back in? Like, you know, I've like, everything has sort of drifted into all these different directions. How do I get back in? And so I, I decided, no, I'll go to work for a comic book store. Right. That worked last time. Right. And so now I, but now I'm armed with this, this PR background and this, you know, uh, you know, semi attended education of (laughs) that, that, that qualifies me to do these things. And I, um uh, and i go to jim Hanley's universe which is this amazing comic book shop from Staten island that had just opened up multiple locations in manhattan and i, I convinced them to uh you know hey you know i just kind of want to get back into it I, I started working there over over the christmas holidays and then was their director of marketing became their director of marketing over and ran a bunch of events for them and but I was also, I was uh, throughout all of this, I was always a gamer, right? I was always, I was always someone who played games, played board games, played role playing games, some, not as much as I would ever ever liked. Um, and was the, the game expert for the store, right? Like we're ordering new game products. And whenever someone would have a question about games, if I was in the store, I would end up fielding, right? And so people in the, you know, so November 94, first tournament, so it's probably like late 93 or early, very, very, very early 94 people start like coming in and asking if we have this, if we have magic Mm. and I'm like, I don't know what that is. You know, I don't know what that is. People are just like kind of mad. I'm like, is this like, is this something from like white wolf? Is this like mage, you know, is this some product? I I don't know what it is. You're thinking it's
1: some sort of established IP or brand. yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And, uh, and, and and I've told this story before, but it, it, it's a true story. It's like, I, someone, some guy comes to this big guy, and he's like, do you have you know, Magic the Gathering? And I'm like, and it's the first time someone says, like, the full name of the product to me, right? So, you know. And so I'm like, no. And the guy kind of just picks me up by, like, my lapels and, like, kind of, like, shakes me. Not because he's mad at me. You know what I mean? I, the weird, weird thing to observe at the time, right? But like that, he's just upset. He's like, "Why can't I find this fucking game?" And you know, I kind of, kind of, uh, you know, sort of stomps off. And I was like, "Glenn, we need to order Magic: The Gathering, right? <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we need to find find out what this is." And it's hard so, to forget that, yeah, yeah. And so we we track it down. We we can't get any. We can't order any. This is uh, all of this is sort of somewhere between the release of beta and unlimited in New York. Right, I don't know when yeah. that happened rel- relative to where it happened in other parts of the country. But the complete strategist store I'll be going to on Saturday to play in my brother's War pre-release uh, mm-hmm. is still there. Um, they were the only place that sold Magic in the city, really, and mm-hmm. they they had they were getting a little bit of unlimited back. in. And so, me mm-hmm. and my my board game group and uh, a couple of other people all bought like two starters of Unlimited and like six boosters or something like that. I think whatever we were allowed to buy, and just started playing. Had no idea what we were doing. Um, and and kind of it just kind of snowballed from there. And right? It's like okay, you know, we're not gonna buy we're not gonna buy any, we're not gonna buy antiquities or Arabian Nights, guys. This is all these are this is we're playing for anti. It's not fair to keep introducing cards, right? The idea is someone's gonna win all the good cards eventually. Like we like <laughs> we can't keep adding cards to the pool. It's not fair. And then right. one friend went out and bought like, you know, a box of antiquities. And we're like, oh well that's it. You know, now we're all buying cards. And mm-hmm. uh I think I think the first product I bought a, a lot of was uh was Legends, right? Where I bought like you know, as many boxes as I will, as I was allowed to buy at the time. Was Uh, it all
1: MSRP or was the store marking it up or?
0: uh, Strategist was always MSRP. Um, We would often at at, at Jim Haley's Universe buy the stuff at MSRP and then mark it up so we'd have stuff to sell in the store if we could get our hands on it. You know, we were, and we were ordering product at this point and selling stuff and selling dark packs at some like exorbitant markup and, you know, uh, as things went, I don't even remember the order of anything anymore, but we became a place where, look, we were like, look, it might not be MSRP, but we're going to always make sure you have magic. We were going onto bulletin boards and buying packs from, you know, this sort of burgeoning secondary market for, for product. You know, we were going, we, it was a baseball, uh, it was a baseball card retailers bulletin board. And, Mm. uh, we we were going in there and we found people who had magic. And so we would Right, and so we, there was we, no
1: genre for magic cards yet. Yeah, it was just sports was, cards. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And so we we always had cards. And so we became like this place where people would come to buy to buy magic cards, you know, packs. Mm-hmm. You know I mean, and mm-hmm. so you start to meet people and then I met this guy Tony Perotti. And Tony was the first person I knew who was what we would describe now as online. He was, you know, he was, he was on all the, all the, all the message board, right? He was on all the, you know, the news. It was like
1: pre, pre, pre internet.
0: Yeah. 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 But no, he was internet, right? He had, he had email. He, he got a subscription. He was like
1: the early adopter, right? Yes. He 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 was was the early adopter. And he
0: had, he knew all the rules for magic. He knew the rules. He was up to date. He's like, here's what they just banned these cards or you can only play with four of a card now. You know, here's (laughs) this. And so um, yeah so we we were we were we were all hooked and we were excited and um and the, the first thing I wanted to do with magic actually was of course a comic book right like first thing I wanted to do was like yeah, oh, that's I want to really... make a magic comic I want to tell and so I I actually commissioned I have them somewhere um three painted pages for a story called "A Council of Dragons," which was about the elder dragons getting together for some sort of, you know, conclave, you know, where they were going to talk about elder dragon shit. I don't remember, you know, what what the, you know, it was it was it was very much teaser pages, right? Like, but it was like mm-hmm. painted art, um, really really beautiful. Uh, and and we flew out to we actually flew out to Renton to pitch them. That we would uh, we wanted to make this comic book, but uh, I think Dark Horse. And what happened? I think Dark Horse. Yeah. Every, basically, at the time I was like, well, no one still, even though we know about magic, nobody knows, but everybody knew. Marvel was beating down their door. DC was beating down their door. Dark Horse was beating down their door. And you know, I was I was looking, you know, to figure. You know, I'm like, I've got a paycheck here, you know, like <laughs> I didn't have the resources <laughs> to to get the license at that point, but. Uh, but I met a lot of people at Wizards, and became really aware of what was a lot of, like I guess what their plans were for the game and, and, and how things were going, and um, and we decided uh, that uh, events were something that weren't really happening um, around us. You know, there'd been a there'd been a tournament right or two, like you know there was a store that would occasionally run like, hey, come in and play this whatever format. It would be like you come in, you get eliminated, you go home, right? Or there was one thing that was called the Seaport Tournament. Uh, It's South Street Seaport. Like, I think they had like 30 people, which was huge, a huge number at the time. Uh, But same thing, right? It was just like come and play. And it was like, and, you know, I'm coming now from this background of public relations, and I'm coming from this background of running these huge uh, comic events for Mm -hmm. the Jim Hales universe, you know, where, what, what my role there had been in coordinating, like, okay, we're going to have the entire team from Wildcats number one in the store. You know, they're going to go to all four stores. We're going to do the signing. We're going to make these certificates of authenticity. We're going to, you know, promote this this way. And, and so we had we had a some, some recent lessons to draw, and we we're like, let's make an event. Let's make a tournament. So we rented out a ballroom at the Roosevelt Hotel. We... Mm-hmm. I, I think if you look at what you think of as a GP, or even to some extent what just happened in, in, in Vegas with Magic Thirty, right? Like it was a small scale, very similar, right? Like we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna have artists, and we're gonna have dealers, and we're gonna have multiple events. We're not gonna just—you don't get here's a main event. You can win a set of Arabian Nights. That was our our prize. But you know, we also wanted to make sure you're mm. here all day. And we wanted to make sure people felt like they were getting their money's worth for their fourteen dollars entry fee, um, and so we 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 came up with a whole series of we, we kind of invented side events right <laughs> at, yeah. at at this tournament, and uh, and it was it was a wild success. And
1: um, was that was that the first Magic? Uh convention or I I you, think it's the first idea. magic
0: convention. So there's certainly earlier that year Wizards of the Coast ran world championships. But I ran it at Gen Con, right? So there's a it's a it's at a gaming convention. So it's not right, really it an event it, yeah. specifically focused on magic. I not a think, standalone.
1: Yeah. I think
0: this is the first large scale standalone event for for magic. You know, wow. people come in from 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 all over the place, right? I mean, it was like, and it, you know, it, 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 I think it was like approaching three hundred players, right? Which yeah. doesn't seem big by today's standards, but at the time was was like a number that like gave me nightmares for months afterwards. You know, people <laughs> like, hey, Judge Brian, uh, 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 you know, asking for stuff. Um, and yeah, it was a wild success. I, I know people who met at that tor- at that tournament. Got married and have children today who play magic. <laughs> so, you mm. know. Um, wow. Yeah. Um, so it's crazy. And so then, and then just went down that road, started running Started running tournaments. We re ran that. So if you I don't know if you've ever seen it, Marshall and I, Marshall Sutcliffe, uh, we used to do a video channel called Video Rewind, like MTG Rewind, where he would sit down. I did not like, know that. Okay. So yeah, it was this great chat thing where he would sit down with like, Brad Nelson and Brad would replay they would replay one of Brad's most famous matches and Brad would kind of do director's commentary over the match. And I was like, Marsh, I have this great video that we should do this with. He's like, well, is it a match of magic? I'm like, no. And he's like, I don't know. My, my crowd really wants match. play. I'm like, trust me, (laughs) you're gonna be interested in this. So I have like 30 minutes of footage from that event, like signups, People playing magic, yeah. announcements, getting the round started. And we had match footage of the finals. We had like the, you know, and an interview with the winner after the tournament was over. So he was like, uh, uh, mm-hmm. oh yeah, okay, we got to do this. So, so Marshall and I sat down and did like a director's commentary over this like half hour. It's 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 so wild. Uh, you know, people just shuffling moxes with no sleeves. You know, dual lands <laughs> fireballing each other for one, you know, like crazy, uh-huh. crazy. This um, the crazy and, old
1: days, yeah, yeah,
0: and and so you know, with that event, um, we just kind of realized there was something there. We had another event in February, which had like a thousand people show up,
2: right? Oh wow!
0: Uh, yeah, and you know, and, and 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 we couldn't get people to leave, right? That was the <laughs> right like we could like so like by the time we do our third event in march we're getting charged overages for the room because people won't go home they just mm-hmm. want to play more magic they just want to play more events there's like no people
1: are just sitting on the ground if they have to just playing yeah. right
0: yeah yep yeah. and so it occurs to me at, at some point you know between those second and third tournaments that there's this appetite to have this environment where you're around people who are playing Magic, a calendar of events for Magic, that is more than once a month. Um, mm-hmm. And so the first thing there is to start now running these events in other cities and on other weekends. But then the, the other is to create neutral ground, which is mm-hmm. uh, what I believe to be the first tournament center. Right? We we it's a term we invented for the for the store right to describe it, uh, and you know it was a. At the in the first location, a twenty five hundred square foot space in Chelsea, Manhattan, on the ninth floor of a building, and the entire ninth floor. And you would, um, it had about four hundred square feet for retail. You know, it showcases with cards in there. We had some back offices. You know, we had you know some some supplies on shelves and some probably some Warhammer stuff, but. 2,000 feet was play space. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: It was tables and chairs, right? And we produced a calendar of events seven days a week. You know, uh, every day Mm -hmm. you come in, there would be a magic, at least one magic tournament. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, you could always just, like, get people to play you sealed deck. You know, people used to play sealed deck for money. People would buy, buy a starter and two boosters, you know, mash them together and play for play for money. It was always it was crazy, um, mm-hmm. but you'd always you know, and and we were just uh, and so we 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 started doing mail order. We started doing that, and then that was that was the next uh, handful of years of my life was was running. And, and this is
1: the first of its kind, right? This is like I, I a true so. innovation. Like this is I, a I tournament so. space in a store, right? Yeah. yeah, it was
0: it was it was a a place to play magic. And, and other games, right? We, 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 we worked with other games as well, right? But it was primarily Magic. And mm-hmm. the idea was you could come there. We would always have a, what you think of as Mox Boarding House right now or or um, Cafe Mox or whatever it's called in, in Seattle, right? Like, uh, mm-hmm. except instead of having good food, we sold Hot Pockets and Pepsi, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but the
1: gamer's diet, yeah. But,
0: but, but it was, it was, it was a place where you would go and you'd like play magic, and you're like, there was no magic card you could ask us for that we wouldn't have in stock. Right? We, right. we, we had the this right. high density library drawers filled with, and, and so we, we were like, hey, if you want, if you want dual ends, we got them. If you need GZMs, we got them. You need moths, we got them. I, I, I don't even want to think about the value of black lotuses that passed through my hands over the years, yeah, you know. Um, yeah. And then, uh, that, that really, you know, we, we opened that in, uh, May of 95, I think. So
1: how how did you, how did you guys even get the word out? Was it just purely word of mouth that people knew about neutral ground? Or what?
0: <sighs> so we, we took ads in every, uh, every magazine that had, uh, that was writing about gaming. We... Uh, had a sign at the complete strategist because we sold singles and uh, offered play space um, it wasn't the strategist didn't view us as a competitor to them they didn't sell singles um, and so people are always like well where do I go to play magic so they'd love their and their employees would all come and play magic in our place or play uh, or play miniature okay. games or play DD right like you could do whatever sure um, so they love telling people to come to us um, and yeah, we, we just ran events and, you know, we would, again, now we're also going to, we're running a monthly tournament in New York where we're advertising our store. We're running a monthly event in New Jersey. where We're advertising our store. We're running two monthly events in Philadelphia, one in uh, one in Philadelphia and one that bounces back and forth between Harrisburg and Pittsburgh. Um, we, we're running an event in Connecticut every like by on a bi-monthly basis. And so those would be these, hot and then it was like, and and so it was like a feed. Those would become like feeders to get people to come into the store, and people would yeah. come from pretty far away, away to come into the store. You know, you I know you had uh, Ben on recently, and I was talking to Ben, and you know I felt like I first met Ben at Grand Prix Thailand, um, Grand Grand Prix Grand Prix Bangkok in two thousand two or three or whatever, and he's like, oh no, we met before. And he's like when i qualified for pro tour new york in mines for for pro tour new york that would you know was uh in in rye new york sorry I'm, i don't know why i have mines on my mind um when i qualified for pro tour rye and i flew into new york i got in a cab and i basically said to the cabbie take me to neutral ground and right. like he before he even went to his hotel he was at Neutral Ground yeah, man, I, you know, no, I don't know, you know, I, I, yeah. you know. Because Neutral
1: Ground of, was the Mecca, right? It was the yeah. Mecca of, of yeah. magic. And uh, so he, he yeah. came
0: in, you know, you know, we, we, he played Seal Deck against John Finkel and played like, you know, against, I think he might, it might've been like, he came and played new an event, played Steve Almoni Schwartz and John Finkel in the first two rounds or something like that, you know, <laughs> uh, um, and then, yeah. and then went off to yeah. the Pro Tour. Um, yeah. so yeah. Yeah. So that that's that's so a lot my of, that's my short answer to how I got into magic.
1: No, that's that's great. I mean a <laughs> lot of amazing names uh pass through those elevators. I mean it's just like I unfortunately I never had the chance to to visit uh when it was around, but it's like it's just so iconic, right? It's basically the magic equivalent of like getting off the plane in New York and then going to like Madison Square Garden and uh you know watching basketball and instead is it, playing magic or watching magic or it's watching just, magic. Just I mean, incredible. I think that was
0: a big part of it, right? Like we had so many great players there. Like you could just learn so much, uh, yeah. just to sort of absorb the magic.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I know that the next question I'm going to ask is, has the risk of becoming a five hour podcast on its own, <laughs> but, um, maybe, maybe we could do one on that. Uh, but, but, um, like, what are some of your most memorable moments with players in those earlier early days? Like, maybe just give me like one or two um, really notable interactions. I so, mean, Ben Sek was was one for sure, sure. but from his perspective. Right? From his but perspective, from yours, yeah,
0: I, I don't really remember Ben until he was a little older, and we were we were in uh, at GP Thailand together. Um, so when we opened the store, we had no idea if anyone show up. It was like crazy, right? We quit our jobs. We, you know, pooled our, our, our magic card collections. You know, we, we put in some some money and we're like, ah oh, let's do this. I don't know what the hell my wife was thinking. Mm-hmm. but um, I mean, leap
1: of faith, right? Let's yeah, be real. I mean, back then who faith. knew, right?
0: Yeah. yeah. And uh, and the way Neutral Ground worked was, you know, we, we really wanted it to just be, we wanted people to feel like this was their place. And this is going to sound like a weird way of thinking, but we would charge people to use the space so you could come in and shop at any time, right? Like if you you want to come in and shop where we're, yeah, we got cards, we get this. If you spent more than a certain amount of money, I think it was $20. You could get a free day pass to use the, the tournament area. But if you wanted to play in a tournament, if you wanted to, you know, use the tables, it was $7 a day. $35 a month, I think was the price or $250 for an annual membership. Mm-hmm. And we made, you know, oh, I can look, I have the sign right here, actually. <laughs> the first time.
1: Uh, Sounds like a bargain. Honestly, I would definitely pay the the, the weekly or the monthly rate instead right. of the, the daily rate.
0: And, and we had no idea, you know, again, same thing. And, uh, you know, we we're like, okay, and, you know, we set up and we're, we get this place all, you know, done up and we have the tables and the chairs and you know the place place was not uh what you think of right like when you think of these stores now right? if you think of Mox Boarding House or, or 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 any of them like modern gaming they're they're beautiful. This was this was not. I <laughs> mean it was clean ish <laughs> <laughs> right but it was like the ninth floor of a building that was you know that we could afford to be in, right? So it was like, you know, it sure. was it, it was air conditioning was always a challenge. Um, but you know, we have, and we have no idea if anyone's going to show up. and, uh, elevator opens up, which is always also an adventure. And the first person people off the elevator are Steve O'Mahony Schwartz and Dan O'Mahony Schwartz. Steve and Dan had been coming to our Grey matter events. They were pretty active on message boards, Steve, especially, uh, when we were thinking about starting the story, I had talked to Steve a few times, you know, to get his feedback. And, uh, they they and they, they're probably by the way at the time 14 or 15 years old right so uh but I know to trust the instincts of a 14 or 15 year old because that's where my career starts right you know and yeah, I was uh say. yeah and uh they're like you did it that's awesome here's $500 for two annual memberships there was a check <laughs> from their mom Joan you know for <laughs> And so, like you know, we op- we were open for five minutes, and we had our first two annual members. So
1: it was like one of your your first members, right there, yeah, here. yeah. Two, yeah. Uh, two Hall of Fame legendary players. Yeah,
0: yeah. well, Steve Dan, Dan Dan never played as as hard as his brother. Steve 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 Steve's the Hall of Famer. I think Dan. I think sure. Dan uh, Dan didn't have that same fire that his brother his brother had. I think. Yeah, you know, to to yeah. just push through on, on some of the bad beats, mm-hmm. and all that. but but two great yeah. players and 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 people who I've. I've Happy to still know, right, and, you know, Mm -hmm. still uh, see and deal with on a a semi-regular basis. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, so that's one. Um, And there's, um, I think one of the weirdest interactions is, uh, so we have a ton of celebrity kids coming into the store. Like, you know, like mm. Steven Spielberg's son used to, to play games at the store and um, the, wo- the woman who played the coroner in Law Order, I don't remember her name now, but her kid would come in and play. and It was like a group of, of actors' kids and um, mm. there was this one kid, Joe, who would come in and with his mom and, you know, he would come in, and he was shooting a movie and we would hang out, we'd talk, and we'd play magic and he's like, I think I'm going to buy... A full set of the Power Nine, you know. I'm like, all right, yeah, you know, <laughs> sounds great. Let me show you what we got. We sold it to him. We played some games. We, t- you know, um, cool. He's like, all right, you know, that was it. We're done. Going back to L.A., you know, the the movie that he was shooting was The Juror, and the actor was Joseph Gordon-Levitt.
2: Oh, as okay. a, as a
0: kid, and uh, you know, apparently years later on the, uh on the on Gavin's. Uh, magic video cast. Yeah,
1: he, he plays magic, right? He, yeah,
0: he he mm-hmm. showed him all these old cards that he bought at you know Neutral Ground
1: years ago. Oh, so, they're from Neutral Ground. Yeah, he bought it. Yeah, okay. he bought them
0: from Neutral Ground. Yeah, he was just, uh, which is really cool. So, you know, super nice kid. His mom was awesome. She was she was she was uh, you know whatever uh, mm-hmm. stage mom stereotypes might exist in your head. She she definitely dispelled them.
2: But mm. uh, you know. Okay.
0: But uh,
1: Actually, pretty normal then. Pretty normal,
0: yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like you know, just a cool mom who indulged her kid in his hobbies, right? Which is all you can ask for from a parent. <laughs> that's
1: that's that's amazing. Yeah. Um, and what was it like to to deal with or work with Wizards of the Coast people like in the '90s? I know, <laughs> I know. You mentioned going to Renton. Um, I've read a lot about it because I, I just like, let you know, I started playing. Magic, my brother, uh, in revised Edition, So not as okay. early as, as you did, um, but, but you know, I remember those I kind don't think of
0: people like people realize how close together all those sets were, right? That's like oh, oh yeah, it was an revised explosion. was like ninety five, right? right?
1: Yeah, because they couldn't, because like people don't know now, but like they couldn't keep Magic around. Like it was just like so. When you're telling me the story of like you can't find Magic, like. I think people now have no no idea. No idea of that. at least anyone who's gone into magic in the last 20 years, because like, now you can find print runs of everything. but like, back then you had to like, I had to get my mom to like, drive me to a store to find this pack yeah. because like this place was sold out, that place was sold out. Like, you, the stores can keep them on the shelves. Like, people would just buy them instant instantly when they, when they came in, right? right? So the reason I asked you about MSRP was just like, even back then, like if I could get my hands on any product. I'll just beg my mom to like <laughs> help me pay for it because like you couldn't keep the product, right? Um and 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 just to give you an idea, like uh or to give people listening the idea, like like when I played in the nineties, just like when you played in the nineties, like it was so scarce. And so revised edition was kind of like uh I don't want to call it like a snap response, but it was like, because there was beta, it was alpha and then it like, literally no one could find alpha. It was just gone in a, in a second. Right. And then there was beta and then unlimited because of, you know, beta sold out. And then I think revised was just kind of like, I'm pretty sure it came out like pretty quickly after that. But like yeah. my, my indoctrination was like revised and my brother and I just went to a, the mall back then and the gaming store. And there was like that two player revised edition set. Right. And we just. And back then, like we didn't have money, so it was just like you know singles were very expensive. So even back then, they were like selling singles for like was it Shivan Dragon was like twenty dollars or yeah. thirty dollars or whatever. And we're just like, yeah, let's just buy the the sealed stuff. And and it's just like after that, okay, this is a really long tangent from me, but it's like <laughs> after that, I started buying like the duelist and like reading about magic. And, yeah. And 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 so I would read all this stuff about the magic culture, even though I wasn't going to tournaments or even playing where, that where, much where were you living at, at the time? Uh, Vancouver, Canada. Okay. Um, and I have to shout out a store in Vancouver, Canada. I don't know if you know this store. It, it It's no longer around. It was called uh, Mishra's Game Factory.
0: Of course. Yeah. And... They, they also advertised in all okay. the magazines.
1: Yeah, 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 they exactly, would advertising right? The it was so, I, and I, and yeah. I think I rem- and I, I think I might have read about neutral ground or seen an ad somewhere in uh, in a store there. Um, but i remember like mr's game factory i wish i could find the photo now but they actually commissioned christopher rush to like paint this beautiful mural right it was like it was like three rooms i don't know how long it was but it was incredible it was just like original artwork and they put that in the in the back room so it's like the play area of that store was wow. literally like an original commission by christopher rush wow, like it had wow. all the it had like tree folk it had goblins it had like the stuff that he was drawing on magic cards for art for magic cards, like wow. they did a one-off, like I, I need to find the photo and send it to you. Cause it yes, was just, please. it was just incredible. The store was like as cold as a fridge, but, but, um, oh, I, I, I will never forget great. that. Mural. It was just... Given the
0: air conditioning, that <laughs> sounds amazing to me. I don't know if you saw, but I was holding up a live <laughs> yeah. booster pack. I, uh, yeah. when I was at magic 30, um, Sam Tang, I don't know if you know Sam or not. Um,
1: uh, he did the Kitchen Table Magic podcast. He's uh, yeah. out of Seattle. Yeah, yeah. The time,
0: right? he, uh, a group of people were doing a cast draft and he was like, we're going to open a revised booster. And so we, mm. uh, he brought a revised booster. We opened it up. We shuffled it. We put the cards face down and everyone who's at the table just got to pick one card face down from the, from the revised pack. <laughs> it was super uh-huh. fun. There's like something <laughs> about the texture, like that just, te- I, yeah. I got a, a conservator. Uh, out of the pack. Um, there's something Uh, about this, like the faded color of revised, like the the washed out color and like the, it's like almost like a rougher texture to the card back than, than what you think of today. It's just, it's just beautiful.
1: And that, and and are. I guess the smell is kind of around, but yeah.
0: No, there's something, there's something, there's something pretty special about revised.
1: Definitely. So, um, back to the question was like, Cause I remember reading about, uh, uh, you know, wizards and what it was like. Cause I mean, they were, they really were a startup back, back then, like with, uh, Peter Atkinson and, uh, pe- people in the company and like a handful of artists they commissioned. So what was it like working with wizards or dealing with them? Like, uh, yeah.
0: So, so when we started, um, again, I, I went out there, I'd met some people for the comic thing and a lot, there was a lot of turnover at wizards. And so those people turned over pretty quickly. Uh, and then when we started running events, um, you know, we got set up to run Sanction, the Duelist Convocation, right? Or the Duelist Convocation. Yeah, DCI. And so, but the, yeah. oh, the way the old DCI worked was it wasn't ELO, right? It was, you got a, you got points, for, because everything was single elimination in the early days of tournament magic.
1: I had no idea. I didn't play everything, tournaments Everything until was the single 2000s. elimination.
0: Yeah. Oh, my God. That was such wow. a sh- – we had no idea that when we ran our first tournament. We figured it out about 10 minutes before the first round. <laughs> like, we fortunately had someone who was, like, had run chess tournaments who was playing in our event. And he was like – he was like, I was waiting to see if you guys knew. He's like, you don't know. <laughs> Let me tell you how this works. Because, you know, in your, your mind, without knowing anything, you're just like, well, I'll just – Pair everyone up. Someone will get a buy, and we'll keep doing that. Yeah, yeah. But you end up with a mess down the road. Um, so yeah, he, you know, he, he helped us get set up with that. But uh, and the way it would work is, you would get points. You would get a certain amount of points f- for every round you advance in the tournament. And because it was single limb, right? It, you know, the person who w- got it to the tenth round is the only person who gets that volume of points. And that was how the system worked. It was it was accumulation system, and and we 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 didn't love it. we we didn't like the the bookkeeping that was involved in it we were like, I don't know if we're gonna do sanctioning anymore. right mm-hmm. We didn't see any value in it. And it's so funny. I remember we were running some of that, or maybe someone else was running regionals. There was regionals in ninety six and someone else was running it mm-hmm. it wasn't us because we weren't doing sanctioning, right? Like we were and I remember. Heather Hendricks from Wizards of the Coast, who was like, I think ran their OP department, organized play department at the time, came up to me and I knew who she was, but she didn't know that I knew who she was. She was like, oh, because we, and we would produce this calendar of events for Neutral Ground. It was a booklet. And the middle spread, the centerfold was a calendar and it was everything that was going on. But, you know, and then each page would be like this tournament, that event, these rules. It's kind of crazy. I just found and actually connected with one of my old employees at Magic 30 who I haven't seen in years, and he has almost a complete catalog of the old neutral grand calendars, which I'm going to get a chance wow, to scan. Wow, that's a and, collector's
1: and item yeah, right there. Oh, yeah, I'm really yeah. excited.
0: But So she came up to me, and she's like, oh, so um, these, these uh, Magic events, are they sanctioned by the DCI? You know, like she's trying to trap me or something, and I'm like, no, why would I <laughs> why would I sanction anything? You know, like what What good is like what's the value in that? And so right. uh she was like, Oh well I'm Heather Hendricks from the DCI. I'm like, Oh yes, fine, yeah. nice to meet you, Heather, I didn't know. And uh, <laughs> This we is ended, like the wizard's version
1: of entrapment, like yeah, you know I'm a yeah, police exactly. officer. Exactly.
0: Uh so then they 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 um we got flown out um to, to, to Renton. Uh, to meet with the wizards team and talk about this thing called the pro tour and uh that they were running and some other events actually like before they ran the pro tour they ran something called the gathering which was the homelands pre-release which was this big one it was a one-off event there was only one homelands event it was in new york at the millennium hotel it's
1: Oh, my gosh. My mind is blown. I had no idea they even did that.
0: They did that with Ice Age, too. They did an Ice Age event in Toronto.
1: Okay. So,
0: and and by the way, just in terms of Magic being a skill game, winner of the Seattle event, of the Homelands event, Steve O'Mahony Schwartz. Winner of the Toronto event, David Humphreys. So,
2: uh, a, couple of, a
0: couple of Hall of Fame. rises to the top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But... um so they'd run like these two these two events, and they were going to run this other pro tour. And so they they convinced us that we should um, that we wanted to sanction events again because people were going to mm. start using that rank re- reading to get invited to events, and that there was this mm-hmm. you know consistent pattern. So that's when we we got back into it. But it was it was just always very funny. But one of the highlights for me from that trip was this is somewhere again, you know probably mid to late 95 and meeting Richard, I think for the second time, Richard Garfield and meeting Mark Rosewater for the first time. I think he, I think I'm pretty sure he was there at that point. Um, Mm -hmm. His memories are old. So some of them kind of, you know, the timelines kind of get a little, a little frayed, but it was definitely Richard because Richard introduced me to the concept of booster drafting for the first time. He's like, "Hey, do you yeah, like you want to talk about someone like, from the creator hey, himself. Hey, hey yeah. we've invented this thing called heroin. Do you want to try it? You know, like <laughs>
1: like just like, inject it right here." Yeah. yeah.
0: He was like, "Hey, we've invented this thing called booster drafting. Do you want to do you want to try it?" And I was like, "What do I have to do?" And he's like, "Just sit down. Here's three revised booster packs." And yeah. uh I sat down at a draft table with R&D and uh mm. drafted i remember drafting a never disc and a sylvan library so i've always been of a type <laughs> <laughs> uh, and i and i think very i got fitting. a millstone in that deck too it's like i drafted some weird you know not very good deck the way most decks were back then but i was hooked right i was hooked it was like mm-hmm. this is i was like i'm never playing seal deck again we would always play seal <laughs> and so i i yeah. became a very early advocate for for draft at uh and in the ground and, you know, we, we, okay, we I have to ask
1: how, how do they even come up with booster draft? Like I, I, it sounds like it's something that wizards or maybe Richard Garfield just idealized or put into a concept <sighs> later on. Right.
0: So, so I think that they were, I think they were trying to figure out different ways to play. And I think sealed, you know, there were, there were some, there was a, some sealed deck play, but I think it just wasn't, um, Boy, seal deck was just bad, right? Like it was just bad back then. Like you just didn't have a lot of great solutions and you didn't feel like you were making decisions. And I, I don't mm-hmm. know the exact origin, but I'm going to guess it comes from just putting more agency and more um, deck building power, you know, choices, given putting more choices in the hands yeah. of the players uh, as opposed yeah. to just opening the cards and then selecting some to build with, Right um yeah. drafting and, and building on the fly it's, it's just the kind of I, I i am sure i'm sure richard came up with it but uh i don't i don't know for sure but he he was very excited about it it was a format that he really cared about and it was clear he was excited to show it off in fact my first draft i think i had richard passing to me which is like oh my god really this is awesome <laughs>
1: No, that's yeah. incredible. I mean, I mean, I mean. Obviously, it's genius just to even come up with the game, but to even come up with the idea of like you open a pack and then you sit in a row, in, in a in a ring, in a circle, and you just pass it on. And it's just like my mind is blown just thinking like going back to that period in time. Like how how does someone even come up with that? Right. Like that. That's how does like how does it's, if come you look up, up revolutionary. Magic? Like that. That's
0: how does someone come up with it's, magic? It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I uh, yeah. part of this thread today where people were talking about um, Magic Hall of Fame. Ben it uh, was like, well, you know, who should be, you yeah. know, if we're, if we're opening up Magic Beyond players, who who should be in the Hall of Fame? And it's one of those things where he tags me in it. And I'm like, don't tag me in this, please. I don't like, <laughs> like, 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 A, if you're going to, like, do an actual Magic Hall of Fame, I'm, I'm not so falsely modest that I don't think I belong there, but I don't want to talk about why I might belong there. And there's a whole bunch of people who I think belong there long before I belong there. Right. Like, you know, like you want to right. think of a hall of fame. I right. think of it as this kind of like layered thing, but someone there's was a like, succession. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Just like yeah. You know, and it's yeah. like, you know, the professor, yeah, probably gets into the magic hall of fame. He doesn't go in, in and act first, you know, So I'm like, just leave me out of this whole conversation. I don't want to have it. But somebody was just like, well, I'm not sure Richard Garfield belongs in the Magic Hall of Fame. (laughs) And I'm like, dude, like, you know, you've heard of the butterfly effect. This guy is a whole herd of butterflies flapping their wings in your face. Your your life is completely different if he doesn't invent magic. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like... You know, they just I, I, I'm flabbergasted by the it's, it's like
1: saying uh, you know, Stan Lee shouldn't be in the comic book hall of fame or something. If, if
0: there is one. <laughs> I was like, what you are know, you it's like about?
1: you know, he only created Marvel and like Spider Man and these these properties, I, right? It, it's funny. Yeah. I,
0: I recently had the revelation that you know, um, Richard really is analogous to Stanley or George Lucas. Or, mm-hmm. you know, like these people who've just It's built, the same
1: pantheon, really. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, be- let's be real. it's a
0: very small group of people who have created this this franchise, this this play pattern, this you know, sub industries, right? Like think about and, and nothing is like magic. Nothing is like magic. Think about mm-hmm. you know, at Magic Thirty. Think about all the people who are mm-hmm. there. The artists who were there, the vendors who were there, the cosplayers who were there. The the players who were there, mm-hmm. the content creators who were there, the judges who were there—you know—that I, I, that's just like off the top of my head, right? Like you Literally always...
1: created an entire industry from. Yeah. Nothing. Yes.
0: Yes, and people who are writing, and people who are doing video, and people who are doing TikToks, and uh, and, yeah. and and people who are making—you know—making their living off of magic in right. all of these really different, unique ways. Um, yeah. There's really something something special about that, although we did get the downside of the butterfly effect. Uh, I was talking to Illy Cassis, who was uh, mm-hmm. the finalist uh, at the Worlds, uh, and someone who's been mm-hmm. playing Magic mm-hmm. possibly longer than I have, uh, someone mm-hmm. who was an old-time Grey Matter guy. And we were talking, he's like, oh, you're going to talk to Richard Garfield, you're going to do this interview with him. Uh, what, what are you going to talk to him about? And I'm like, well, you know, I'm going to talk about this idea, right? Like, the, what are our lives like, right? If if Richard mm-hmm. doesn't invent this game, what happens to it? Where are we? You know, you know yeah. the things. I just like it's kind of amazing to me. He's like, he's like, you know, yeah. I have thought about that a lot, actually. And he's like, he's like, I, th- he's like, I think if I never found magic, he's like, I don't know what I'd have been. Through. He's like, I think I'd just right. be a doctor. And I'm like, this <laughs> is not a great argument, Ely. Really. <laughs> <laughs> no, no one wants to hear how you would have been a pediatric oncologist if not for magic. <laughs>
1: you know? Yeah, absolutely. Not to mention the millions of people who maybe are inspired to do something like magic adjacent because of magic, like just just Pokemon, high fantasy, or Yu Gi Oh, or
0: Flesh and Blood, Hearthstone, yeah, right. All of these other, you know, not not that I don't think Flesh and Blood's a billion dollar franchise, but these the other three are billion dollar franchises, multi billion dollar sure. franchises. They don't exist without magic.
1: Gathering. Uh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. So I, I think I think I think Richard or Dr. Garfield, like he he's gotta be up there in terms of like if there's a yeah, if there's an award for that or a hall of fame for like all time whatever, I think he's gotta be in there. Yeah. He's gotta be in there.
0: Yeah. That was that yeah. was that was by the way, that was such a great honor for me. This past weekend to, to get to interview yeah, him. Yeah, what was it
1: like talking to him uh, for Magic Thirty?
0: You know, I, I've so I've I've talked to i have obviously known him for a long time, and you know I, w- I wouldn't say we're we're friends or anything, but you know you know we we're friendly, and you know we uh, I think you know there's mutual respect there, right? I mean, you know, just not not representing something more than the relationship has been more than it is. But uh, I was pretty honored that he trusted me to to sort of conduct this. Um. But it was really it was really cool he told us a lot he told a lot of really interesting uh insights into some some of those early decision processes and um has you know hes a, he's a very modest person and he's a very uh reserved private person so it's it was it was it was interesting because mm. but he 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 seemed really to appreciate it he was taken aback he got to standing an ovation. And i don't know that he expected that which is crazy. Right? Mm. I mean, of course, he's going
2: to get a mm-hmm. Um
0: But uh, yeah, it was no. It was just. It was. Uh, it was super cool. It, it was really uh, for me. Like I said, uh, uh, a, a huge honor to 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 be able to to talk to him and um, thank him right for for like this really joyful detour my life has taken for these last thirty years. Right. Like mm-hmm. this is not something I ever expected to be doing, right? Like, you know, if you ask me, you know, 30 years ago, where will you be in 30 years? And it's like, oh, I'll probably be like some, you know, uh, you know, comic book creator or, you know, you know, maybe doing something in film or, or you know, but, you know, something very much in the entertainment space and, mm-hmm. you know, really did not mm-hmm. expect to become a game designer and an event organizer and an on air personality and, Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, s- s- you know someone, you know, you know social media person, and all, all of these things, yeah, sort of happened. I, I don't think I expected any of that. You know, you I don't never expected to
1: be tagged by someone on Twitter that <laughs> you should be in the Magic Hall of Fame. So there you go. Yeah, it's all surreal. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. yeah it is. It really is. So. so
1: do you do you think Richard is surprised by what happened to Magic as of right now? Like. I, I imagine it must be just so an outsized success story, but he, like, how does he feel about it?
0: He, um, it's interesting. His philosophy about games is that a great game, like I don't think he he thought it would ever necessarily thought it would sell what it sold. But if you asked him thirty years from now, will people still be playing Magic? He he definitely thought it would still be being played, not the way it's being played. But right? yeah. he never expected people to have access to every card, let alone play sets of every card. Right. Mm -hmm. He, he Mm -hmm. never expected people's, um, access to the cards to be as, as, as immediate and as deep as it is. Right. Like certainly Mm -hmm. didn't anticipate, um, uh, you know, how quickly information would, would, would cascade around the game. Right. So that, you know, formats are just solved. Right. Like, um,
1: this this is something that I think I think we need to also put in perspective, people, right? Like playing in the '90s, you did not know <laughs> what cards your opponent had. No? like there was no way to know even the rarities of the cards, like, and that was actually uh, I would argue that joy has kind of been lost, right? Because now you know, I like, agree. the spoilers of the cards come out like you know five months before the okay. uh, the thing comes out, and it's just like. Like back then, when I played my brother, I, I, we were playing for Annie, and we did not yeah. know what someone else's <laughs> deck had, and we could like win. I still remember like playing a demonic attorney, I think from revised edition. Like people had no idea. That was like the not just not just the fact that people didn't sleeve their black lotus or whatever, but just like you had no literal idea what decks your opponent had or what yeah. cards they had. Like it was it was wonderful back then, actually. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah, I. I uh I talked about that that first tournament we ran and we, we did an interview with the winner at the end of it. And uh, he got very emotional because his opponent mm-hmm. was playing a copy of his deck. His opponent in the oh. finals had played him at a local store, seen his deck, mm-hmm. and copied it as close as he like could. Like deconstructed
2: Car- it, right? He, he, again, yeah. there's
0: no real internet here to speak of at this point. There's uh-huh. no deck list. There's no... People didn't even... Could could withhold? The you have
1: decks. to see the deck to, to know what yeah. the deck is.
0: And and you know there was some some stuff going on on the Usenet group where people would start to post deck lists. but people would sometimes only post yeah. partial deck lists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was and so this guy he he was playing a like sixty card or maybe sixty two card. Who knows at that point, right? Mirror. <laughs> yeah. And um, he felt it was really important to beat this guy because this guy had the temerity. To mm-hmm. copy his deck, he's like, you know, he's like trembling. He's like tears in his eyes. This guy's playing my deck, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, it's
1: like looking into the mirror. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. we we had no <laughs> idea, you know, uh, you know, certainly certainly no idea that decks would just become so fungible, right? Like just so, yeah. Um, you know, you just like copy this notepad file, drop it into arena, and yeah. You know, oh yep, two wild cards, got it. All right, let me start playing with the world champion stack right now. <laughs>
1: It was. I, I'm sorry, I went on a huge tangent, but oh, I was I'm asking sorry. about about Dr. Garfield and and uh, and basically like uh, he expected people would still play the game, just like yes. you know it was like uh, he... as if it was Goldfish or whatever, like a pastime, but not not like what it ended up becoming. So, right?
0: so, so I think if you look at the the communities that have spun up around cyberpunk or Netrunner, I'm sorry, Netrunner is the game. Yeah, that was the
1: other deckmaster game. Um, game. But but
0: netrunner's yeah. netrunner still played pretty actively, right? Like people. Mm-hmm. Um, and more importantly, the Star Wars game from Decipher. So the Star Wars game from Decipher still has like a world championship. There's no company really running it per se, right? It's mm-hmm. fa- it's a there's like a fan.
1: They're creating virtual cards. Community. There's a players they, they, committee. They,
0: yeah. Oh yeah, you're yep. on it. You know.
1: Um, I, I, um, so I'm sorry, this is a huge digression. <laughs> I'll, I'll just cut in here. Oh, please. I, I'm happy roles here, James. <laughs>
0: Star,
1: Star Wars CCG was my life in the 90s. Oh, wow. Like, you, you have no idea. Like, I played regionals. I went to, like, I, my parents, I would get them to, like, fly with me to play in, like, regional tournaments in Canada. Like, basically, I peaked as a card game player in the 90s. Nice. Like, when I got into Star Wars CCG Decipher, like, I did not play Magic in the 90s as much as I could have simply because Star Wars CCG was my life. And so I got back into Star Wars CCG later on found out about the players' community. But sorry, that's a huge yeah. tangent. But like, no. I love Star Wars CCG like, just like you love Magic. That's yeah. Just the, like, you know. it,
0: but it's great because it, it contextualizes what I'm talking about. And what Richard described to me is what he thought Magic would be like in 30 years he thought people would still have their collections of cards might have some fan-made cards of some you know right. but people would still play even if the game itself was not being supported by wizards of the coast if Wizards of the coast went out of business or what you know he had no mm-hmm. idea right he's like i don't know i always thought this was a great game i knew very early on from the voracious appetite of my play testers and their desire to continue playing and the their you know how much time they would put in because they were having so much fun. That the game would be something people would play, right? That right. that it would become, you know, a billion dollar thing, is is sort of besides point. I think maybe even is slightly annoying to him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know that that yeah. you know that it distracts. Talk about a little unintended bit. consequences. Yeah, it distracts right? a little yeah. bit from from people just like playing the game and having access to cards. One of the things that that that's, you could tell is, is, is has been a, a flag he's planted over the years with the game is trying to keep the game from becoming too much of a collectible, right? And making sure people had access right. to the game, something that he fought right. for time and time again, right? To 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 sort of make sure people had access to cards and to mm-hmm. and so and so. So I think, um, yeah, he 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 definitely thought people would still be playing i just don't think he realized how many how many different ways and how many adjacent um avocations would exist around that avocation. you know what i mean like you know like you know altering cards and you know uh you know it's crazy right it's just there's so many so many different ways that you can inhabit the game so
1: Absolutely. It's like asking Steve Wozniak, like, do you think the iPhone could happen when he was like building the Mac in his garage, right? Right. With Steve Jobs, like, like, there's no way anyone would have known, like, there's no way. And if you think you knew you, you, you should probably have a time machine or you're probably lying. Like, there's no way anyone knew this would happen. Yeah. and we see it in like his later works too, like whether it was like the board games. Actually, he did I think Robo Rally the same around the same time as Magic, right? Ro- Robo Rally before. precedes
0: Magic, so exactly he was he was yeah. selling Robo trying to sell Robo Rally to um, Wizards of the Coast, right? And it was too expensive to produce, so mm. you know, it's like, hey, you know, can you come up with something that's cheaper?
2: Mm-hmm. Maybe
0: something with cards or whatever, a card game. And he had been working on a game called wizard duel with his friends and wizard mm-hmm. duel became, became magic.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, the rest is history. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so Brian, how did you get into coverage?
0: So, uh, neutral ground, uh, start that in 96, do that. You know, we'd go to a handful of pro tours over the years. Um, ran a a pretty famous tournament series at neutral ground called the grudge match, which was um, neutral ground players versus your move games players in Boston, where we would each have a tournament series to produce a champion. And then those champions would go to a pro tour, play each other. And then there was bragging rights and um, both tournaments would push a prize pool up into the middle. And then the winner, the winner of the two players would take that prize pool. Um, And I was doing a lot of content around that. So I, you know, really was pushing the envelope on, this is like in the late 90s, maybe early 2000s. I don't remember exactly, but still people would try to withhold deck lists when they played in events. They'd be like, I'm going to play in this event, but you can't publish my deck list. And I'm like, dude, I'm doing this for the deck lists, right? Like yeah. I, I want people to come to my website, buy magic cards, right? Right. So this is all about deck lists. So all my deck lists said, by playing in this tournament, you agree that your deck, if you don't want to be in the tournament, you can drop right now. <laughs> but if you're playing in the tournament, your deck list is going to get published. Whether you win, lose, or draw, there's nothing you can do. Right? Yep. That's yep. just how it is. You know, and people were like, well, I have the copyright on my deck list. No, I, we, you actually do. <laughs> You actually do not. Um, mm-hmm. and so we, we were doing a lot of coverage around the events. We were doing like, um, uh, weekly metagame analysis, um, mm-hmm. you know, doing breakdowns of, of, of how all the archetypes paired up against all the other archetypes, you know, we, we could tell you, you know, and, um, when things changed at some point in, uh after nine eleven, honestly, the this there was a couple things happened. The store kind of went downhill in terms of people being willing to come into Manhattan from all over, right? People were like, Yeah, you know, maybe I'll just go to my local store in Philadelphia. Or maybe I'll go here. You know, like the idea of going through a bridge or you know, uh, over a bridge or under a tunnel was was if you if you lived in New York, it was it was always there was always like a, a clutch in your chest as you did that. For for a while. Yeah, people
1: people had trauma. Yeah, Yeah,
0: there was a lot of trauma and and a lot of fear and um and and just being in the city wasn't always a pleasant thing. And um Mm. and and you know we we were probably didn't move as fast into to adapt to you know changes with like eBay and some other online stuff. And 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 the store was, was 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 not doing super well and I was honestly not as passionate about it as I had been, right? I'm like, kind of like, oh, hey, this huge traumatic thing has happened. I, am you know, I thought my, you know, I thought my parents had been, you know, they were down in Wall Street that day and, you know, mm-hmm. I, I knew a bunch of people who worked on there and I was like, oh my God, you know, I was very fortunate in terms of the people I knew. But, you know, it's one mm-hmm. of those events in your life where you're like, what am I doing? And so I, everything changed. Yeah. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. And so I really wanted to be um, I wanted to get back into comics, James. <laughs> <It's like> the, <laughs> that,
2: Full that's circle. The, that's yeah. the arc
0: of things for me. Right. So uh, I yeah. decided I was going to get back into comics and started pitching some stuff and, and working on some stuff with some friends and was fortunate enough to sell a comic to. Uh, Marvel Comics, uh, create, a title I created called The Craptacular B-Sides um, that, that Marvel, you know, liked and, and wanted to do a miniseries around. There's these kind of like three hapless superheroes from New Jersey who, who really wanted to be superheroes but didn't quite know how. It has some magic, um, this character called Mize, who is a part of the Marvel Universe now because... Of the term Mize and Magic," I was like, "I love, M- I loved that phrase. Like, that's absolutely <laughs> cool. like a teenage superhero name, right?" Sure. Um, and uh, also got to write Captain America for an issue. And when I announced I was going to close neutral, or, or sell Neutral Ground and, and leave Neutral Ground and, and, and was turning it over to, to new ownership, um, I got a almost instantly got an email from Aaron Forsyth um, mm. who was like, Hey, you should come and do some writing for us. You should write for, we we're starting a new website called, you know, daily MTG at the time they were sideboard. Um, and you yeah, should
1: sideboard magazine. Shout yeah. Out. yeah. And,
0: you know, I had been going to some PTs and um, when I would, bomb out of the PT, I would do, I would help out with the coverage team, right? So, like, it's a couple of team PTs, I did some coverage, and it all sort of came together, and um, I got sent to, yeah, Grand Prix Bangkok, and met Ben Sack. Sort of bring that full circle. Uh, That was my first event, whereas I was just by myself at an event, uh, and then started in, like, 2002 or 2000. Yeah, Chicago 2002 was my first Pro Tour doing coverage as a full-time member of the coverage team. And yeah. um, and then just, you know, never looked back. I, I just kept doing that. Uh, I love traveling. I had never really traveled very much when I was younger. And so yeah. um, the opportunity to see all these different parts of the world, travel to Japan, you know, travel around Europe, tra- travel to, you know, um you know, Hong Kong and Bangkok and Kuala Lumpur and, and you know, these places that, you know, I, I wasn't necessarily, you know, going to get a chance to go to, you know, normally was uh, phenomenal, right? And to meet people from all over the world and to make friends all over the world. Um, but, it, you know, was, it was just so amazing to me. And uh, so I started out, you know, back then coverage was text. That's all it was, right? Like it was, it was all text coverage. And so I could write pretty quickly I had a lot of experience as, as a writer and as an editor and I, you know, um, turning things around on tight deadlines. And so I was, I was pretty good at it. And I think I brought a different voice and sensibility to, to text coverage at the time, you know, really, really pulled, uh, pulled out some of the personalities, of the players and, you know, really let the players uh, talk. I uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> had, a, had an awkward situation where, one of the first matches I covered at, I, I covered a match between Darwin and Darwin Castle and Bob uh, Maher, and mm-hmm. they were going at it they were like, really didn't like each other
1: like captured all of that you mean they were like just like yapping and Bob what? Bob thought
0: Darwin was a cheater Darwin thought Bob was a cheater it was really what comes across if you read the the coverage right it's it's mm-hmm. it's it's from uh, first round of Proto Yokohama right they they were basically accusing each other of playing with marked sleeves. Right. Some mm. amount of gamesmanship, some amount of, you know, uh, I think Bob really thought
1: trying Darwin, to get the edge. Bob, yeah. I
0: think Bob thought Darwin yeah. had marked sleeves and Darwin was like, well, if you're going to get a sleeve check on me, I'm going to get a sleeve check on you. And and it was really heated. Um, And it was it was a match. Darwin did not play well. And uh, mm-hmm. I, you become a little more politic as you do coverage later on. Uh, mm-hmm. but I didn't, I was not very politic at all.
1: <laughs> In this what, way. what did you do? I just said, I just said
0: he played like, he didn't know what the cards did or whatever. Right. Or he was, you know, it was obvious. I don't you remember. Mean you wrote that or wrote you, that. you I wrote that? I wrote it. Okay. I wrote, yeah. I, I just like wrote that he just, you know, kind of could have won the game 10 turns earlier. And I, you know, whatever. Yeah. I didn't know. And, you know, um, and magic was meaner back then. So I just assumed everyone had thick skin. You know, I don't know how to explain it, and uh, and and then you know nothing came of it. I was like, oh man, maybe maybe I was too far. Thirteen years later, fifteen years later, Darwin comes up to me. He's like, hey, I just read that coverage from Grand Prix from from Yokohama. That was pretty mean, mean. He had not
1: read it, until, not read until, it like, until
0: recently, and then he got mad at me.
1: Until, like, over a decade. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. He's goodness.
0: like, maybe you didn't understand. I'm like, okay, that's definitely what happened. Darwin. I didn't understand.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Wait, did he try to explain to you, like, what he, his he process is? He tried to make it be like, like the you, game?
0: Know, yeah, you know, I mean, Darwin has a very, you know, Darwin, Darwin thinks he's very good at magic, and he is. He's a Hall of Famer, and I'm not. So, mm. you know, I think I think he looked at mm-hmm. our relative positions there and, and came through drew some conclusions that were probably not true. But I I, and yeah. I would never have written the article the way I wrote it later on, you know, as as my career. Yeah. I, would, I would have been much more circumspect.
1: What 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 happened? Was it just experience mellowing out like yeah, how did experience you just realizing your, that you're talking about
0: people, realizing that realizing how you know, it's not sports reporting also, it's not like, you know, you're you're these are just people that you're gonna be on the bus with, you know, going to the event and you know, and just people you yeah. know, and you you start to realize how much goes into it and how hard it is to be good at magic consistently for any long period of time, and um, yeah, and and how much you don't know, right? Also, right? Like, you know, there's yeah, yeah maybe you know, maybe there's a really valid reason for the way he, he the lines he took in that game, and I I certainly wouldn't be out of uh possibility out of the realm of possibility for me to not know, you know, not be aware. right. So you know, you, right. you become a little more. You know, yeah, you, know, you just you know, you you when you do your first thing. You're like, I'm gonna do something really mad. You know, I feel kind of bad about it now, but you know, at the same time, it's a funny yeah. story. Just really funny to me. The idea, like 13 years later, he like read it and was like, hey,
1: yeah, now it's time to get mad. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in those early days or years, like, did you have partners when that you did coverage with, or was it just a solo act?
0: So, so Grand Prix were almost always a solo act. Um. You know, they would just send you, <laughs> and then you'd recruit a couple people. Um, mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, yeah, you'd recruit some people to maybe help you with the copy or do some stuff as they as they knocked out of events. Um, mm-hmm. But it was it was solo. And then when you were doing a PT, there was there was a team of there was a coverage team. But you know, again, it was go do your round, go write your go type. You know, go go take notes and watch what's happening live. Now go back to your station, go write that up and now tag in the other, you know, the other group of people to cover two feature matches or write some metagame feature or do something like that. So it was pretty solo, but I would be remiss if I did not, um, mention Toby Wachter. Um, Toby Wachter is someone who really is a big part of dragging me into coverage. Toby was someone who used to play neutral ground. He's, he's, um, someone I I still consider a very close friend. Um, But at the time he was like a a wonderkind going around the world doing magic coverage before I was ever, ever doing that. And he was just like, come on, you Mm -hmm. should do this. You know, you'll, you'll love it. It's fun. And and so he, he's someone that I, you know, well, well, you didn't have a a partner, right? He's someone that I I associate very closely with that. And the other person is Josh Bennett. Uh, Josh Bennett is to me, one of the greatest, uh, coverage reporters of all time. Um, and someone who I was really nervous about meeting, right? Like, you know, like I was a little, like, you know, I was reading his coverage, you know, while I was doing stuff. When I got to the Pro Tour, uh, I think it was Pro Tour of Venice, maybe was the first time we worked together. Actually, no, the first time I met him was in Pro Tour, New York in 2001, And I was like, oh my God, that's Josh. I I don't know if he's like BDM. And we were just like fast friends, like immediately, which is awesome. Right. It's one of those great things. But, uh, and so Josh is someone else I associate very closely with those early days of text coverage. Mm
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So
1: what, what was something that you, uh, absorbed or, or learned from, from your predecessors or things,
0: you know, uh, Well, there, there's, I mean, it's really hard. Josh is such a unique animal and, and has such a unique approach to writing that it's, it's hard to, to, to emulate what he does. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's so, so, so good.
1: Just very unique. Very unique. Yeah.
0: Um, you know, to, Toby just really like, I would say the big, the big thing, and, and which is not to say Toby's not great. Toby's a super talented writer. just, Josh, is, Josh just is perpendicular to all of us. It's just got, got a different mentality about how to, have, what, how to do things that leads to some really unique um, content. But, uh, mm-hmm. but Toby, you know, just, uh, you know, really just kind of showed me the ropes in it, right? Like, and, and you know, what, what you have to do and, and uh, mm-hmm. what's sort of really laid the blueprint out for, for what coverage would look like. You know, to- Toby. Toby mm-hmm. is someone. You know, by the way, when you talk about a Hall of Fame, um, and, and you talk about coverage content, to me, Toby, Toby, and Josh are two people, and Kim Icafeat, uh, who who did early a lot of early text PT coverage, and Andy Collins, uh, and uh, and Monty Ashley, who, um, you know, really really are all people who who pioneered what what coverage uh, would be, uh, and really, really mm-hmm. templated it, um, mm-hmm. for people. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that answers your question or not, but
1: that's what I can. No, I, I mean, it, it, it does make <laughs> me realize that you have a really good memory for, um, uh, you know, it, it's just like how, you know, sometimes I can't remember what I had for dinner <laughs> yesterday, but I, I can feel remember like all, I the, have a good all the games I played like of magic or star Wars, like back in the day, it's just like, we have this kind of memory, right? Yeah, I, yeah. I used
0: to have such a good memory, James. I, I, I do not anymore. My memory used to be like, like if I could have played magic when I was 15, I I think mm-hmm. I could have, you know, gone toe to toe with anybody, you know, like my, mm-hmm. my, my process speed and my, my memory for things and my ability that to was absorb, the, that was the peak, absorb yeah. information. Yeah. And it's, it's you know, steadily downhill. <laughs>
1: And plus back then you were surrounded by such, uh, excellent players as well. So it's like, it's hard for that not to rub off. Right. Yeah. If you're you're in that culture. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so of all the places that you visited as part of doing coverage, Mm. um, is there one that stands out as being particularly memorable? Like, is, is there one that you would pick out from like, like in terms of like people or events or like, it was like very hard to forget.
0: Uh you know I think that the two spots that really stand out for me um are are Paris and Honolulu. And part of that is because a big part of the coverage coverage is like pretty lonely. Right? Like you you do you coverage you're, like it's great. Like you're there with your friends. You're 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 in this incredible bubble of you know people who are all kind of like-minded with you, but you're also in this city. Mhm and you don't get to do very much, right? You know, and and, and you work these really long days, you know, and you're you're up at 8 a.m. and making your way to the tournament site and you see the local Starbucks and you go into the convention center and you buy some, like, whatever the hot dog is of that country. You know what I mean? Like, whatever, like, just crappy convention hall food that is universal to the world. And you get done at like, you know, nine o'clock at night and, you know, maybe you do a draft in the lobby with your friends, but really you're exhausted and you do that all over again.
2: Yep. So
0: it can be a little, it can be a little like, oh, I'm in wherever and I didn't do anything. And so, so for mm-hmm. me, Paris, Paris and Honolulu are two trips where my wife uh, came out um, either for the entire trip or showed up at some point during... Um, the, the, the back days of the of the pro tour, and then stayed in the city for another week, you know, mm. with her. And and so, you know, it's not something we, we got to do a ton over the years because, I mean, there were so many events. Uh, and often you were like, oh, I'm done. I'm going to come home, change, clean my laundry, and then I got to go because I got to go to Kansas City, and then from Kansas City I got to go to Vancouver, and then from Vancouver right. I got to go to Santiago, and, you know, and that was kind yeah. of like the 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 grind, but but those those two cities are, are cities where I really got to um, carve out a, carve out some time, and we had some really special memories and some really good, great mm. moments there. And, and uh, I'm, I'm I'm very warm towards Magic for giving me that opportunity for that. You right. know, uh,
1: because you made that, it a that, proper vacation. Yeah, that
0: with vacation you, with yeah. your partner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Exactly. yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Cuz my mental image of you uh, or someone doing coverage is just like I don't know if you watched the the George Clooney movie Up in the Air but it's like that's <laughs> no. basically like you just get you just get drop shipped into s- situations and then you're just on to the next on to the next, you know?
0: I, I think every coverage person had like a little PTSD watching that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I I do. I, I do. Espe- sure. Especially from like that Back, back in the day where was a really small team of people doing everything
2: mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm.
0: yeah
1: yeah for 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 sure um are there any particular events from a coverage perspective that just really stand out for you just in terms of being there
0: um let's see there's there's there there, there are definitely I mean,
1: you're um, part yeah. of so many iconic moments, so I guess it's kind of unfair uh, to ask. for. No,
0: no, it's, it, it, I mean, so a lot of them are going to be involved in players that I I know, right? So um, seeing John win his first pro tour in New York.
1: Um, John Finkel, John Finkel, right, obviously.
0: Yeah, Hall of Famer, John yep. Finkel, someone I've known since he was a kid. Seeing him win his first pro tour um, and, and sort of like come of age, I can't explain it, right? Like, so, so there was like, a bunch of different teams in the new york area right and there was like the east coast assassins which is like this jersey group of players that john came up with who were super talented players but you know kind of have that kind of like when you think of the stereotypical you know um bad <laughs> experience of going to a magic tournament some of these players are yeah. going to be the players who are, who are at the heart of that uh, David yeah. Bachman was one of those players who's just really, um, could, could really, could really be p- pretty mean. Uh, and, uh, he and John, knew I guess each the other. most
1: polite way to say it is abrasive yeah. abrasive.
0: And he and John knew each other. They grew up together. They were on the same team, but John, John was, was kind of, to some extent, you know, felt like bullied by Bachman and they're both in the top eight and, and John beat David, which was kind of great. Mm-hmm. and um after the event also <laughs> kind of just came to this wrote this great tournament report which just talks about like oh wait a minute i i don't really have to subject myself to this i can and 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 really makes mm-hmm. this break from that team and that culture and um goes and joins team dead mm-hmm. guy which is you know yeah uh, and and uh really I, I think of it as sort of the birth of modern john um uh, you know mm-hmm. a more adult um
2: Right. More And that probably doesn't happen
0: unless
1: he, unless he wins that event. That doesn't happen to some extent right? kind yeah. of a sliding doors moment.
0: Certainly gave yeah. him the platform to talk about it. It's it, it, To me, it's a really great tournament report. It's like one of those things, you know, the first time you read something by someone, you're like, I don't know, I didn't know John could write, right. You know, like, and he wrote this mm-hmm. really, um, really great, great tournament report. Uh, I think it was on the dojo. Uh, probably, mm-hmm. probably can still find it if you dig a little bit, but.
1: So that really stands out because of like you knowing him and yeah. that personal association. Yeah, and, and yeah. just sort
0: of like that that battle between sort of the, the <laughs> light and dark forces, <laughs> light you and know. dark side. I, and not you know, I, I like David, and, uh, you know, but I mean, he was just like mm-hmm. you know, I, I I definitely as a tournament organizer, and there's a lot of players from that era who were in that crowd who have all turned out to up to be fabulous human beings,
2: right? Mm-hmm.
0: Um, David, unfortunately, not with us anymore. He passed away a couple of years ago. Uh, not, not, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, and, and didn't really know, him. but most of, most of his contemporaries from that group were all just, you know, great, great people now. And, uh, but, but David was certainly mm-hmm. someone who was, had an antagonism with John that, um, you know, cer- certainly, uh, just was, it was, it felt good when John won that event. And, uh. Yeah, yeah,
1: you yeah. know, And it
0: was a vindication yeah. too, because John, John had just been so consistently, just you know, making the top sixteen of tournaments and had had a bunch of top eights, but hadn't won. And a win is so hard; it it, 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 it is not you know the measure of an excellent Magic player is consistently making top sixteen. Of course,
1: and top yeah, consistent placing is, is key.
0: The win, the win, is pretty, pretty, a pretty, pretty volatile event, right? Like there's lots of things that yeah. can happen. Uh, but to see him get it was great, right? It felt like yeah. uh, it felt like a a, a big. Uh, A big vindication for
1: him. I mean you're you're you have such a wide perspective on things like is in your opinion, is John the greatest ever?
0: So 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 I I really do think that the greatest ever is depending on the the, the sunlight, uh, depending on the breeze. (laughs) Like
1: hey on what side of the bed you wake up on? John, John
0: John, Kai, and Paulo all are I think just three of the best to ever play the game and mm-hmm. have you know slightly different eras slightly different circumstances but are are just all people who you know if you had to find someone to play a game of magic to save your life <laughs> you, know, uh, you, <laughs> you know you you know you 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 wouldn't you wouldn't feel bad with 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 any of them, you know, they're, they're just, they're all just so good. Um, Mm -hmm. but, but it's kind of a three
1: way, three way tie. But
0: John, so that all said, John did it in the dark, right? John John starts at pro tour one. Um, there is no real magic internet. Kai Kai is the first player that comes of age as a dojo baby, right? Like Kai, Mm. you know, if you go through the old dojo archives, you can find posts from Kai where he posts his phone number and he's like, hey, if anybody in Germany wants to play test with me, you know, here's my phone number. <laughs> <laughs>
2: right?
0: Like, um.
1: This Kai, was early days. This is
0: early days. Like Kai, Kai is a dojo baby. So the dojo is like a major size John, John just knew the game. He didn't have, he didn't read articles.
2: Mm-hmm. He didn't,
0: you know, posit theory. He just, Understood it, right? Like, if you ask John mm-hmm. to describe why he made a certain play, he can't always do it. It's like mm-hmm. it was the right play because he doesn't even mm-hmm. see, you know, where someone who's more analytical about things might be, oh, but you could have done this or you could have done this. And John's like, well, why would I do those? I wouldn't, he doesn't mm-hmm. even consider them, right? It's just like there's just one path. Um, you know, there's
1: that intuition that's just like you can't learn that.
0: Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, so, to my mind, you know, I, I think all three players are just unbelievable, but I think the right. the, the age in which John did it, uh, the, yeah. the 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 sort of fog of war surrounding the game that he dispelled to do it, um, yeah, I think I have to give the edge to John.
1: Right, I get you. The earlier um, era wins out. It's kind of like comparing uh, Nate Archibald to Kyrie Irving. Like you can't <laughs> like it's different different periods of time, right? Yeah. Or if, but if you had to, which I did, I put you on the spot, then, then John wins the tiebreak because, yeah. uh, he was doing it in the dark.
0: Yeah. 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 So, you know, I, mean, okay. I mean, you can make the argument that he was then, you know, doing it against worse players in the dark. But then John, post his Hall of Fame induction, has like a whole other Hall of Fame career against, yeah. you know, <clears throat> younger, faster, you know, uh, players who were not in the dark. So, John, you know, John, John mm-hmm. just has, You know, if John puts any intention behind him playing Magic, John's just going to be able to go out and win a pro tour.
1: Yeah, I mean, I hope hope I'm not going to offend you by saying this, but it's kind of like comparing uh, BDM as a game designer versus Richard Garfield as a game designer. Like, okay, maybe you're doing something technically stronger now, but without the shoulders of giants, Uh, like, you can't, like, you know what I mean, right? Absolutely,
0: yes, absolutely. Absolutely, Richard did it in the dark, right? Richard's just like, I don't know, what if... <laughs> and then you tapped these and What if was a train car game? And Yeah, what if what if yeah. that existed? So, yeah, no, yeah. no for sure. I I'm never going to be insulted by any comparison to Richard Garfield <laughs> in any way. <laughs> anyway.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what kept you um doing coverage for so long because, you know, the way it, it you know, like you said, it could be lonely, it could be challenging. You've had lots of different jobs. Like, what was it that kept it kept you in it?
0: Uh, so the camaraderie uh, of it, right? Like the 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 group of people. There was definitely a family. Uh, you know, I just spent a lot of time crying this past weekend, seeing people I haven't seen in a few years, who are just like mm-hmm. you know, who I love. I mean, I, I love them. Uh, and people mm-hmm. I was in the trenches with, you know, multiple times a month doing coverage, and um, and th- that's just really compelling. Um, plus I, mm-hmm. I I love magic, right? And I love um pushing things forward, right? I loved um, mm-hmm. figuring out new things we could do with coverage, right? I loved um, deck text was something that I really I think. Yeah, they, yeah
2: they, you're they, part they, of you know, all, Certainly deck all of us. text
0: existed in, in text form, but like in terms of like video deck text, I think that was something that that, that we really pioneered in ProTour coverage. Um, mm-hmm. You know, getting getting videos up on YouTube that were embedded in the front page, right? Uh, like all, all these little things and, and just eventually, you know, for two years pushing for coverage of the Swiss rounds of of Pro Tours and finally getting that, you know, I was like, Oh, I want to be a part of that once we did that. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, as but you we, wanted to
1: see through these things. Yeah. Sure. Yeah.
0: yeah, and as we and as we built out the team and brought more people on and um you know, it's like, oh, you know, yeah, no, I, I wanna do other things, right? Like, I, I never liked being, so the funny, the, the thing I liked the least about coverage was being in the booth. Right? I enjoyed it, right? <laughs> but it's the thing I liked the least, right? It's it's like, it's like really hard work. It's pretty unforgiving if you slip up at all. Um, And it's, it's not the things that I love about Magic. Right? I, I don't, I'm not that person who can recall the details of the game 10 years later. Right, because I don't care. I don't care about. The, I mm-hmm. like the narrative. I do. I know. I, I know. There's like mm-hmm. these hardcore magic players that like. I hate narrative. You know. <laughs> I just. You know. You know. They just want to play the game and, and and remember the details of the game and the decision tree. And that's not that interesting to me. What's interesting to me is mm-hmm. that you are playing in your first event at this level and how did you get here and who are the people. You know. You know this, James. This is the thing that motivates you right? Um, and so telling people stories became something that was really important for me. It was something that I did in my column for Wizards. And so I was really excited as I got to to do sideline stuff, as I got to do the the reporting and the interviewing and, um, you know, going into the tournament a few days early and going to some playtesting house and getting to hang out with the players and uh, tell their stories and, and and sort of set the stage for what was going to happen in the coming week, and that was all the stuff that I really I really loved, right? Like that, that like mm. just connecting uh, players players with with the people at home.
1: Definitely, yeah. I, I think um, that human aspect, uh, the stories aspect, is definitely the number one thing and as you as you alluded to that's basically why i'm doing any kind of magic content now is like it, it's it's all about the people uh, as far as i'm concerned yeah. like um magic for me is not really about problem solving or it's not about just like playing as perfectly as possible it's about all the all the growth cuz like you see people uh grow and have jobs and have lives and have friendships because of magic, but I, I guess anyone listening to this would probably feel similarly, right? So, um, uh, were there any particularly memorable moments for you in terms of like, just talking to the winners or like, uh, interviewing somebody in particular,
0: uh, interviewing Autumn Burchette.
1: Again, also an unfair question. You probably no, interviewed like hundreds, I, thousands I, absolutely. of people,
0: I, but I can tell you a couple that really were meaningful for me. Um, Autumn Burchette, that was my last event before I retired from the coverage game. Um, and uh, that that was just such a, a history making win, um, you know. Really, um, this champion for this new uh, vanguard, you know, new vanguard of magic players, you know, who who are coming into mm-hmm. the game and were fighting, creating a space for themselves. And it was so exciting to see, mm-hmm. and, and and to see such a dominating performance from them was uh, was was just amazing. And someone I had known and. You know, one of the things that I loved uh, about the, the the sort of different spots that I occupied in the game is I would meet so many players on the way up through my column. So, you know, mm-hmm. I would always do um, features about the players who finished ninth through 16th at Pro Tours and would do features about players who had like great runs in one format or another, but maybe didn't make the top eight. And so Autumn Burchett is someone I interviewed after their first Pro Tour. And, mm-hmm. you know, would always see autumn coming to these events, oh, how's it going? Oh, you know, and followed the struggle sort of like uh, of of someone trying to stay qualified and coming back to these events and then um you know, for my last event for for for, for that to see that run and to, to be able to do that as my last interview and to and to sort of, you know, see see that the game was, was continuing to grow and and, and and be a bigger and bigger and bigger tent for more and more people was was uh was phenomenal, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a uh, a great interview um, uh, I did with Steve Rubin after he won. Um, and mm-hmm. you know, one of the things I always I, I, I think people make a mistake often about when they do interviews is they want to focus on the mistake of the player made, right? Like I, I, I remember someone you know doing some GP winner interview, and they're like, yeah, and the first question is, so in game three. You cracked the wrong fetch right? It's like, dude.
1: When you punted, yeah. what did feel <laughs> like, What are you
0: doing? Um, and so I, I, I really try to, especially in a winner's interview, right? There's, there's a context. There's a mm-hmm. time for that, but not. And I was interviewing sure. with, uh, uh, Steve Rubin after his win, and uh, we were talking. And he said something which acknowledged a mistake he made. It was something that people had talked about, you know, during the topic. And I was like, okay, well. Let's let's stop there for a second. Let me ask you something. You know, you made this mistake. How did you, you know, overcome that? Like how did, what do you do? Like I I'd just be more like I, I've made a mistake on camera and I, and there were six people watching, you know, me playing in some five thousand dollar tournament, you know, and I and I like wilted and I I died, you know. <laughs> like, how did you what do you do? And he's like, Oh. And he's like, So here's my mentality and he and he talks about how he dealt with mistakes, which was that he gives himself one mistake he's like i'm just gonna make a mistake i know i am and and it's just such a great answer and it was so much and it was like oh steve rubin's awesome right and he like he just had thought about it and it it was something that i felt good about as an interviewer also because i've made the mistake of of, you know maybe asking a question that was too uh that wasn't the right time or 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 felt forced Mm -hmm. into the you know but it was it was like oh Sitting back, listening, uh, mm-hmm. listening to what the player was talking about, and realizing there was a window to talk about that. It was, it was, it was, it was um, a great moment. And um, interviewing Calcano when he made his top eight, Chris is someone mm-hmm. that I've known. Um, I was one of the people he who, works so
2: hard. I, Chris I is someone I've yeah. known since
0: you know before he was a Magic player. He would come to Neutral Ground and he played versus system, and he was a really good versus system player. And he played Yu Gi Oh and. Play, played some other games, and it's like, man, Chris, you're just really good at all these games. You should be playing Magic, you know. And I wasn't the only person who mm-hmm. said that to him by, by each time I'm taking credit for Chris's career. Um, and so I'm, I've known him forever, and, and you know, just grinding and grinding and grinding. And um, we weren't gonna do an interview that round, like, we were off. And I'm like, mm-hmm. and and I saw Calcano, and I'm like, we have to do this interview. Like, like I have
1: to capture. I that. have to
0: capture that. I have to talk to him. I have to. I have to express to him how how much this means to me too. Right? Just as yes. someone who's. And and it was a, it was a great moment, and uh, uh, I, I'm really happy I got to be there and do that and share that with him and 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 see see all the people who loved him so much who were on his team supporting him. Great moment, and of course, my most famous interview moment was that same event. Uh, mm-hmm. I get reminded of all the time which is the Martin Mueller interview <laughs> um, maybe,
1: uh, maybe you should recount it for those who uh, may not be familiar
0: so I'm interviewing Martin Mueller uh, and again it's a, that same sort of question about like how do you recover from a mistake he, uh, I don't remember if he had already made top eight or I think he had just made top eight but we were talking about like a you know something and he's like yeah how do you recover what do you do and he's like he's like ah you know sometimes you're gonna fuck up when you play game of magic we're doing this live Right. And I'm like, oh, and my eyes kind of like go like Marty Feldman yeah, yeah, size, you know, the,
1: the BDM meme. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. yeah I, I,
0: I was a meme for a while after that. And, uh, and I'm like, uh, okay. And so we keep talking and he's like, but you know, but that's what happens. People fuck up. And I'm like, oh my God, and what are you doing? And then, the, then he comes over to the top and he's like, but you know, and I'll probably fuck up again. And <laughs>
1: that's perfect though yeah
0: and, and i'm like and i'm like and and what i felt really good about it, like is i was able to get my and i'm like maybe even in this interview <laughs>
2: yeah, 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 yeah
0: i was like i'm like all right I, I don't remember doing that i was like in a fog but yeah yeah i was like oh that's great that's great and it uh, it's just a, a great it's moment. A good improv moment yeah it was it was, yeah. it was fun yeah um and martin mueller's someone i just you know very serious <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: but uh a great <laughs> player uh but that, yeah.
1: I think that speaks to uh, what you're able to do as an interviewer or as a coverage person is that you could get people to really open up with you, right? Because, I mean, you could look at it as kind of a negative, like, you know, he, he f oh, on care, three okay. times or whatever. But but it's it's more about, like, they're really
0: entrusting you to... I was just really mad. James, I was just to... mad. I was owed a curse word. I, I, I retired <laughs> without ever cashing in my curse word on air. So, like, I have a... Uh,
1: you retire with a perfect record. I have That's a
0: foul great. mouth, right? Like, I curse all the time. And the only... And people were always trying to get me to do on-air stuff with Wizards. But I was like, I don't know. I uh-huh. don't know if I can not curse. No, I tell you what. You get one curse. Coverage is PG-13. If you you get one... one Like Steve <laughs> Rubin, you get one mistake. You get one curse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I never used right. it. Right. And so I felt like Martin had uh-huh. burned that on me.
2: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm
0: sorry, I stepped on your. I stepped on your question there.
1: No, no, no. There's not really much of a question. It's just, just. Um, I think. I think it's just good that it's just a comment that I think um, that is part of being a good interviewer. Is people often forget that is like you. You just want to make people feel comfortable, and you want to do more listening than like just trying to project yourself. And I think that's like super important. And I, I, I really like your Steve Rubin example as well because it's just like for someone who listened to that. That's a very instructive moment as well, right. because like, it, it's very much like, because oftentimes in winners' interviews, you're just like, yeah, it's great to win, of course it is, and like they're just elated or they're exhilarated, right? But that becomes a moment that becomes kind of like a teachable moment, because like if someone actually internalized that, right, they would see even for the top level or the upper tier of magic players, number one, they make mistakes, they're human, right? Because we're all human. Number two, like. It's not whether you made the mistake, but it's like, how do you process that? Yeah. Cause like some people, they make that mistake and they just can't recover. And I think that mental aspect of the game is just so huge. And for him to actually, um, you know, say that in a very constructive way yeah. and not be tilted by your, your tactful mention of it, uh, or hinting at it. Like that's, that's what it should be. Right. right?
0: Yeah. I think you're able to,
1: you're able to, you're able to look under his hood, you're yeah. able to draw that out as an interviewer. And that's kind of like uh, an art. That's that's like that's 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 just great. Yeah. So
0: no, I, I enjoyed that. Uh, and like, like I said, I, you, you cultivate these relationships with players from the time they, they, they qualify for the per- like just I was, I, I think, in a unique spot, right, where I was interviewing PTQ winners for my column and I would do um, go to go to play test houses and you got to meet a lot of players at, at various points along the way. And and part of what you do, or certainly part of what I would do, was, was also felt like I was preparing them for, for those. In, like, the, the thing is, if you're going to be a successful magic player, you're going to need to talk about magic on a camera <laughs> at some point, right? And so it was also one of those things where, where we, we would develop this rapport and we would, we would have this, and we'd be able to go back to these kind of familiar places to, 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 to draw that conversation out from. Uh, Brad, Brad Nelson to me is that perfect example. Uh, I've had some great interviews with Brad over the year. you know I, I think if you've ever seen an interview with me and Brad, there's a lot of energy there. There's a lot of respect and a lot of fun in, in those interviews and we're really like, you know, kind of like leaning into each other and kind of like laughing and and that comes from doing an interview uh, doing an article about Brad before his first event he he was some online person, FF freak who mm-hmm kept winning all these block constructed events leading into the pro tour. And uh, I was writing the article like on my way to the airport, right? And I was looking at the deck results and I'm like, I don't know who this guy is, but if he's qualified for the event, watch out for this guy at the pro tour because this person is clearly insane. Now he was an online personality, a magic online person. I didn't know him. So I got a little bit castigated for that. Uh, But, you know, we did find out because of that the same time like yep not only is he qualified for the pt but he's going to be at the gp the weekend before so we we got to like interact with him at the gp put him in a feature match talk to him a little bit on camera you know uh you know do all of that stuff and get him ready uh he did a a round one feature match at the pro tour against louis scott vargas uh Ooh, which was crazy okay. um and that's, that's the situation where, and Brad's told this story a million times, he's so nervous doing the event that he cracks one of his cards. He's got, like, a Forbidden Orchard in his deck, and he, like, shuffles mm-hmm. and something, and he and it's marked. Like, he, mm-hmm. like, crimps the corner. And he's like, what am I going to do? And he's panicking. Right? You know, like you do. It's his first pro tour, his first match. He's playing in Soliska Vargas. And I'm like, hang on. And I had just done it like a draft the night before or whatever. And someone had just handed me my rares from the draft for my team. And I happened oh. to have a forbidden orchard in my pocket. Right. And I'm like, here,
1: trade me, replacement, trade me. Yeah.
0: And, uh, you know, and I, and I put it in my pocket and, you know, he played the match and it went on. Um, mm-hmm. he, he ends up finishing ninth in that event, right. Or something like that. Um, we do a deck tech at the end of day one, at the end of day two. And he's like, he's like, I'm not really comfortable. Can you imagine this? Brad Nelson. I'm not comfortable being on camera. I wasn't comfortable being on camera. This
1: is, this is before Brad Nelson became Brad Nelson. Yeah. yeah.
0: (laughs) Uh, and I was like, look, man, this is, if you're going to be good at magic, which you are, you know, you're going to need to be making videos and you're going to need to be writing articles. And, Mm -hmm. you know, before you know it, you're, this is. This will be how you support your magic hobby, right? Like, this, is, this will be how you keep yourself playing the game. And, you know, he, he trusted me, I think, and we, we did a, a pretty nice deck tack. But, you know, that was the foundation also for a lot of great interviews over the years. So, anyway, years later, you know, he comes and goes from the game, comes back to the game, and starts succeeding And He's like, hey, man, do you still have that forbidden option? I'm like, I do, actually. Right? I have it in the, you know, this box of cards that are memorable The, to the
1: cracked cards. one, right? Yeah, the cracked one. Yeah.
0: He's like, I would love to I would love to get it back. As like a memento for my first pro tour. I'm like, No. He's like, what? I'm like, no. <laughs> and he's like, why not? I'm like, make another PT top eight and I'll trade it to you. Oh. Uh... And uh yeah. and he you know, and he he was like, Ew. You dick, you know. He's like, I'm never going to make the top eight of a D again. And I'm like, sure you will. You know, and I'm not saying I motivate him, right now, but but he did. Obviously, mm. made made a couple, and became one of the best players in the game again. Um, and then he uh, traded me a foil splendid reclamation from from one from whatever pro tour he had top eighted from one of his drafts. I'm like, mm. let me go through your draft cards, you know. And he had a foil, <laughs> make, and a, it a trade. And make it a proper yeah. trade. make it a proper trade. And a foil splint, and a card that I was going to be playing in multiple decks in Commander and a card that, you know, things that I love doing, right, moving cards from zone to zone. And so we traded, and now he has that card framed in a in his in his workplace. Mm. You know, I have it in my, yeah. I have the Splendid Reclamation in my uh, CDC deck. So great. It, yeah. was, it was a great, you know, one of, one of those great things that I, I you know, Brad, Brad is someone that, you know, I, I, I adore and uh, really, really happy to know him and really fun
1: to watch the arc of his career yeah you know really almost there's the something ab- there's something about that which is like you're you're able to um uh, directly and indirectly like just help the evolution of players because it's like sometimes it's like what you say when the cameras are not rolling that's actually the thing that helps them right because yeah. like just telling him like just don't get nervous on the deck deck because you're gonna have to do this a gazillion times because if you're if you're a high level magic player, you're going to have to do that. Like that, that's just like good, um, good advice. Yeah.
0: I've been thinking a lot about the term metagame, you know? And, and and I think when we think about metagame, we, we think about this idea of this information, like atmosphere that travels around the game. But I, I, I think the metagame really might be bigger than that. I think the metagame is, is, is all the things we've alluded to in this interview, you know, like all the, all the sort of, like, ancillary things you can do around the game, all the different kind of content mm-hmm. you need to create, the way that you need to inhabit the game. You know, it would be great if you could just, like, inhabit the game and be, like, tunnel-visioned in and never have to think about being interviewed or doing a deck tech or writing an article or, you know, what your top eight photo might look like or any of that stuff. But you know what? All of that, the the, the game is is all of that. Right, like that—that's all mm-hmm. sort of. So I—I've th- been thinking about metagame. And I, this is something that mm-hmm. Richard had said to me, and I don't even remember what it was. But you know, we were talking about metagames, and it's really stuck with me, like the the concept, mm-hmm. and just realizing that that magic, you know, exists in this huge metagame that is everything from cosplaying to judging to
1: performing
0: mm-hmm. to to um, educating, right, and, and nurturing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Yeah, random thought.
1: Like it's bigger than just the decks. Like it's you got to think bigger. Like I guess another term would be ecosystem or like even industry. Like we said, like it's 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 bigger than just the the physical cards or the virtual cards, right?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, ecosystem becomes a little like transactional. So almost yeah, business like business like, but but uh, so so like maybe there's a better term than metagame, but 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 that's you know. It's the yeah.
1: it's the bigger than a game sort of yeah. idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, other than Brad, are there people that you've witnessed or seen that have like had like incredible transformations over the years? Like, is Brad the most the biggest one, or are there others that? No, are I mean, notable?
0: Brad's transformation is really just a matter of refinement, right? Like, that's just him becoming comfortable with with uh, being on camera. I think that's a that's pretty traditional. Um, mm-hmm you know i don't know i think i think magic has, has just sharpened people i don't know i don't know that there's any um you know real real transformations that happen i think there's like mm-hmm. you know it, it's 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 a great way for people to find their power right to find their their, mm-hmm. their sort of uh mm-hmm. their voice to find their mm-hmm. um to find what they they don't know and that they need to learn and so mm-hmm. I, I don't know I'm not sure that there there is is really like any kind of great transformation so much as like a, you know, a a refinement or an evolution that people go through.
1: Sure. Or maybe a calling like people are who they are, but then magic is a way that they, a vehicle, they find their, their calling or some, some sort of deeper meaning perhaps. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, so just kind of switching gears to the present day. Sure. How do you feel about like magic coverage now or just just the things that you were involved in in the past I know this is a very general question maybe we can start with coverage like where do you think coverage needs to go where do you think it needs to evolve and like is it is are things going on the right path I know the MPL thing is now abolished and <laughs> we're going into something new and which is still sort of like uh, TBD to be honest right. but but uh you know how do you feel about that stuff
0: you know I, I think for um... I think if you look at the coverage from Worlds this weekend, uh, it was great, right? I think there was a lot of stuff that they, they really tightened up, you know, um, did a lot of pre-production on the draft set segment of the event so that, um, you know, they were able to show you the draft in this really kind of yeah. like quick form. Historically,
1: and, the draft is just super hard to cover. I, I yeah. cut
0: right from the draft to play, right? Because they, they, mm-hmm. they get a lot of that content drafting the day before and stuff like that. Um. I, I thought, that, I thought that, you know, the, the coverage of that, like, like, really, it's just a function, you know, of putting some great voices in there, which they have the team, the team that was there was fantastic. Um, but, but really, it's about having the resources to, to go up against the, the, you know, the, these really glitzy esports projects, you know, like, you know, being, being willing to commit the resources, um, to, to to make the game look great, I, I thought the stuff for Worlds looked great. I'm really optimistic about the Pro Tour in Philadelphia, but I have no idea. I, I don't think anyone still has any idea. I'm sure someone at Wizards has an idea, but I don't think anybody mm-hmm. you know, on the covered side has any idea what that what that means, what that's going to look like, what that'll be. And mm-hmm. you re- you really want hope. I really hope that um, w- Wizards puts the same kind of resources towards mm-hmm. um that and, and the other thing I really hope. That happens with coverages. I, I, I really do want to see the Hall of Fame come back. Right? We 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 mm. had multi-year hiatus yep. since Reed Duke was inducted. Um, there's a number of players who are still sort of like, you know, either either we're coming onto the ballot or we're, we're sort of consolidating their 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 base in terms of the voters that we're moving towards getting inducted and. Um, you know, even even if the rewards might not be the same for that, I, I would still like to. I would like to see that continue, uh, mm-hmm. and would and would love to see Richard get inducted into the Hall of Fame, whether it's the Pro Tour Hall of Fame or the Magic Hall of Fame. It doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Like we said, none of it exists mm-hmm. without him. would 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 really mm-hmm. love to see that. But uh mm-hmm. but I, I gotta tell you, if you watched any of the footage, I don't know how much how much the vi- I, I think maybe the videos. Will be available on demand by the time this airs, but the game nights content from 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 Magic Thirty was unbelievable. Really, really sets a sets a sets a high bar for Magic content. Mm-hmm. Um, really, really mm-hmm. interesting to see. Also, I think I think probably one of the best examples now of of what like Commander coverage or Commander content could look like.
2: Mm-hmm. And I think you're mm-hmm. going to see
0: some people definitely being like, well, what do I want to watch? Do I want to watch people play magic at the highest level? Or do I want to watch people play magic and having fun? Right? And and, and that's always been the struggle for magic coverages is it, it never looks fun. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like when players are very playing serious. at that level, it's it's very serious. It's one yeah. of the things I really, really liked about watching people play at home during the pandemic I really enjoyed watching right. coverage because people's faces were more like, you'd see people like doing this and you'd see people like laughing at like their board state or, you know, people were much more relaxed. They didn't have their game face on at all times. Um, right. And, and, I, and I really liked that. But I, but I do think that the energy that you see in the game nights footage from Magic 30 is going to be a real... Challenge, you know, when you're committing resources for for how you're going to spend your money, it's it's hard for me to imagine mm-hmm. that um, that kind of content won't be drawing resources away from from some other kinds of like high profile mm-hmm. coverage. But you know, I, I've been wrong before, so we'll, we'll see. But that's you
1: know. that's always the tension, right, Brian? Yeah, yeah. It's always the tension of like, are you watching magic to be entertained, or are you watching magic uh, to be entertained slash escape? or are you watching magic to learn and to play at a high level? Right. Like, um, I, I, think in recent years that's become more of a, uh, dare I say divide because the content itself has shifted more towards the former. Right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, and it's super, uh, just super cool, uh, stuff. They, they, they put on a, a show, where right? It was almost like an improv in some ways, right? Like they, they were, right. they were having a lot of fun. There was, you know, um, I forget his last name, Jacob, who's on Cobra Kai, guy who plays Hawk, was there playing, mm-hmm. you know, in the in the mat. Right. It, it was just like it was cool. Yeah. Right? You know, it, it made magic look like something you wanted to do, like something you want to tell your friends about. And it's it's hard right. to get into what's so compelling about two people staring at each other. Like, I love it. Right. I'm not, I'm not, I am not slagging off on high level magic coverage. I love it. I consume it. I will, no, you would be will, the last person. I will, to I will watch it, I, no you know, doubt. for twelve hours a day for three days during a pro tour, right? I've really right. I, one of the things that's been cool about, you know, not it, being retired is being able to watch some of this stuff and, you know, really loving mm-hmm. it. But it, it is, it is um, much like magic. There's a steep learning curve on it. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. anyway,
1: that's that's always been always been tough. Like, uh, you know, uh, I think there's a sort of analog to something like. Like chess, where I think now when you watch t- chess, which is streamed a lot, or there's a lot of things that, like, I think also people that play chess, the streamers, like, they have to become more personable, right? And I think, I think there needs to be, I think there will, I think there already is kind of an evolution now where it's like uh, the highest level players need to be able to entertain like it, it's just the world we're we're going sure. into now which is like you have to be more of a generalist you can't just do one thing super well you have to do like a whole bunch of things well which in a way is kind of antithetical to like being having extreme focus on on being the best magic player but it's uh, it is what it is right the world is just sort of evolving
0: yeah so. I, mean, I mean it's very interesting too because if you watch you're seeing a lot of you know pro and former pro magic players making that move over to commander content
2: Yes. <laughs> right. Uh, I think
1: Brad Nelson is playing commander. Brad right? Nelson's
0: playing commander, so. Brian Kimmler, you know, doing commander yep. content. Um, you know, I, I, I think you'll see more. And it's, you know, it's, 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 it's a great vehicle to tell stories about the game too. Right. Because you can, you know, as you know, someone, that's what I tell, I express myself through my commander decks, right. I'm like, Oh, I loved this deck. My, my extra deck is just, an expression of Gabriel Nassif's deck from Yokohama, which was one of the first events I would, you know, first time I got to travel to Japan and do coverage and, you know, I sat down and I covered this deck and I was like, what does this deck do? And oh my God, this deck is awesome. Right. And the deck is probably slightly too broken for commander, but I don't care because to take any part of that out is to not be doing the thing that, you right, know right. that that, I, that almost I want, like not paying tribute to, to that yeah, thing. yeah 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 you know my city deck is 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 the spider spawning deck and mm-hmm. um i i think it's a great medium to tell stories through deck building and right? like i i think mm-hmm. you know you don't i mean i i know there's a ton of people who who look at commander and they want it to be super tight and they're like you know trick says that you know you use this card and you do this. It's like no man, just play with the cards you like, and you know you got a little bit of room. It's you can be a little bit looser mm-hmm. for the sake of, of having a good time. one of the things I worry about mm-hmm. sometimes about Commander is that it becomes too, um, that it becomes a little too homogenized and a little too optimized through through yeah. through like, yeah. like everything else in Magic, right? Through more attention, then people are like, well, why would you ever play with this card? You five percent more likely to lose if you use this as opposed to right. this. <laughs>
1: That's really interesting. Yeah, because like Commander has this like competitive EDH or CDH um, thing come up as well. And because of, you know, sites like EDH Rec and Moxfield, like, there's that net decking thing that we used to see with uh, competitive 60 card decks like that's now happening for for Commander as well. And it's just so I wonder if you can also speak the question here is, I wonder if you can speak to like, how you feel if there's some sort of like, because there's this common saying, right, Brian? There's this common saying, like, you know, Twitter is not real. Like, Magic Twitter is not real. <laughs> like, Reddit is not real. Like, compared to the average person who plays Magic at the LGS and only buys, like, two packs a month or whatever, right? Like, there's there's still that sort of, like, the online hyper-information. Like, you know everything at your fingertips. You know the CDC deck is, like, this should be the, the 99th card, right? Because it's, like, it's fine-tuned versus just, like, playing Magic casually. Like, do you... Do you, do you do you see that divide like or because like there's often this generalization that like the internet magic is not magic because like it's too there's no hidden information right so'm I'm, I'm, I wonder if you have thoughts about that
0: you know i I, I do sort of like I mean my, my Cbc deck is far from optimized right like I'm playing cards, you know there's cards I'm playing in the deck that i I need to play to sort of create the sense memory that I want have while i play it right you know i i I need to play runic repetition i need to play Memories journey i need to play knot of the bone uh, i need to play mulch right i mean they're good cards they're fine cards and i've actually used each of them to win games in some unusual way at some point with the deck um but but i you know it's interesting right (laughs) right this is maybe a little bit of an error I sit down to play a game in Commander and Magic 30, right? And it's just like, I don't know, yeah. am I competitive? Am I casual? I don't know where I fit. I'm certainly not playing like this hyper-competitive Commander. I have some really good cards in my deck. My deck, given a little bit of room to operate, is probably just going to go and do something really stupid to you, right? Mm-hmm. But it's but it's not optimized and it's not going to do it on turn one ever, right? Or turn two or whatever, and so it's not competitive, and it's not casual, right? So I don't know what it is. Um It's cards I like playing. Anyway, so, you know, we sit down, some guys are like, oh, it's going to be a casual. So I was like, oh, we play casual. Okay, like, oh, okay, my deck's casual. He goes, underground C, mana crypt, Rhystic study, go. Turn one on the play, right? <laughs> yeah. And so we're like, what? All right, yeah. you know, we play, play, yeah. and play. And he sets some doing all this time. I was like, what, what are you doing? Like, I, thought you, I mean, that's fine, right? Like, you know, I think we can beat you, right? But like you're saying your deck's casual. And he's like, I play it casually. That's what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I could have done, I could have forced a will, like the last two spells that you people play, but I didn't because it's casual. i
2: like, right. what? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
1: That's the that's the good and bad of magic. Is like everyone has such a different definition of yeah. what everything is, and uh, the internet also forces us to kind of put a framework or uh, in, or label things, which is like you know because yeah, it's it can be challenging. Yeah, yeah.
0: I I I also hate the word casual, by the way, because I, I think casual mm-hmm. implies um a lack of passion somehow. Right mm-hmm. to me to me casual is. It,
1: sort of like lackadaisical
0: yeah or? I mean it's casual I, I yeah I I think there's 99 cards in this deck it's a casual deck right you know mm-hmm. I, I'm not sleeving it it's casual uh you know right. I, I right. don't know like I, I do prefer social right social and competitive mm-hmm. as, as the mm-hmm. sort of standards mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. but um but yeah yeah it's it's it, it's really it's really interesting to to to, to watch people sort of struggle to um figure i think it should just be like like anything else you play 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 things you love you know play with the cards that that sort of speak to you and and and, and evoke an experience for you like if you're playing commander i don't mm-hmm. understand you know you know playing so i i did uh, i did something with sheldon and the professor for shuffle up and play for his his video series where we played, uh, mm-hmm. we played some some Commander games of a format I call pre-DH, which is basically old school for Commander. So it's just only mm-hmm. you can only play with cards up until the last sets before Commander sets were released. So it's like I think M11 and New Phyrexia are the last sets you know That's and it's like, so it's like you know EDH old school. Um,
2: yeah,
0: but. And so, so, you know, Professor, he gets very anxious about, like, like cards and how people play. And he's like, he's like, so what are the things your deck does, right? And, tell him, and he's, like, he's like, oh, Karn, you can't play with Karn, you know, why not? And he's like, well, sub games, that's going to take too long. I'm like, no, I mean, you can just concede, right? Like, I'm probably going to win if I start sub games, but I, I like this card. And he's like, no, no, no. And then he's like, you know, talking about. Brian Elemental and Vesuvian uh, Shapeshifter, which is the Pickle's Lock, Br- Br- you know, and 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 two cards that I love, right? And I'm never not going to play with them. And they were in my first Commander deck, and they're always going to be in my Commander deck, no matter how much unfun it could be for people. And, and he's mm-hmm. like, but that's not fun. And I'm like, so why is it? And this is a question, a real question I have about Commander and about the philosophy around Commander. Mm-hmm. Why is it that if I play these two cards, that I need to draw... Independently of each other, find a set situation on the board where I can deploy them both and unmorph them both so to punish the table in such a way that the table can't untap. Right, mm-hmm. and you can continue playing and maybe place untapped lands and try to break up my combo if you want, or you can concede. Up, oh, he's got the table locked and he's going to win. Why is that worse? Than Sheldon playing Insurrection, taking everybody's creatures mm-hmm. and attacking them with it and then sacking them to greed or good. Like, but like, why is it worse than some very expensive one card do this terrible thing yeah. to the table, right? Like
1: it's harder to set up and it's all subjective anyways, yeah, how you so analyze it's so weird the fun me. for you versus other people. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, I I, I, I hate to get on my horse as well, but like. That's the challenge that I have with Commander in general, because like I grew up a, a, a spiky competitive player where the only m- the only thing that matters to me is like I need to kill you, I need to get your life total to zero or you kill know, That is it. I don't care how you do it. It's like Street Fighter. Like if you beat me by spamming medium punch, like I don't care. I'm gonna find out how to beat that. Like for me, meritocracy is just like how do I win? Right? Right. There's something pure about that because the incentives are totally aligned. But with Rule Zero and all these kind of things, like I have to win in this way, I can't win in that way. Right. Like that's it's 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 problematic to say the least. Yes. Problematic. Yeah. I I, I, yeah. I do
0: think I right, I think people are sort of dictating. Like I was like, you could just scoop. It's fine. If I lock the table, you can just scoop. That's okay. I'm gonna concede when Sheldon plays insurrection. I'm not gonna do the math and see if everyone's dead down to the exact I just don't yeah, the game's over. You've played a card there,
1: there's a part of me that's just like Old Man Yelling at Clouds, because I, <laughs> but I just, I just like, for the 20 pa- years. It's called, the oh, when, it's, when it's years,
0: magic, it's Old Man Yells at Cloudfin Raptor, just so you know. Cloudfin <laughs>
1: Raptor, <laughs> yes, that's, that's me to a T. And like the first 20 years of playing CCGs, we never had these conversations. And you could say that I'm, I'm backwards or backwater. And, um, but back in the day, like if you, if someone, if you got your ass handed to you, you would just pick yourself up and figure out how to. Right. How to beat them. Go, to, go, to, that, go, go back to the it. counter, like,
0: buy a new card, come back.
1: Go back, go back to the dojo, go yeah. back to uh the duelist and figure out how to if you or sometimes if you can't beat them, join them, right? Just play the best deck or whatever it is. Yeah.
0: So. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I, I yeah. think it's a byproduct of 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 sort of just the the rapid um proliferation of information around the game. Right? You know, no no one certainly wants to be playing, you know, not the you know, not the best deck, and then once people are playing the best deck and that becomes oppressive, and it's like, well, why are you doing you know, it's like this weird cycle, right? Like, why aren't you playing this yeah. card in your deck? This card is clearly better than that card, right? You know, it's right. like I, I saw someone talking about that with with the commander deck where it was like, you know, the the you know, a four mana um get two lands out of your deck, right? Mm-hmm. Um versus the four mana get two lands out of your deck. But you can also cycle it if you don't want to, right? Like I forget, I forget mm-hmm. what the card. I don't mm-hmm. have to know card names anymore. That's the best thing about network coverage. Uh, <laughs> and um, the and I'm like, who cares? Maybe that person owned that card yeah. and not the other card. Maybe they like this card because they have some like yeah. memories of like playing with it. They have some affinity it.
1: Yeah. to it. They think it's fun. Yeah, it's like it
0: doesn't His always memories. have to be optimized to the version that cycles. Yeah. So,
1: but I, I do have to say there is actually some pretty good discourse in the commander community about that. Like you don't, you shouldn't have to feel like you need to play the best version of that card because we're not robots and you should just enjoy. So I I think that is something that I do like the commander EDH community doing. Um, And I also, I'll, I'll share something else with you because I was recently editing my Brian Kibler interview and I was asking him like, Brian, why are you playing commander? Like you just told me that you're a hall of famer and you, you only play magic to to win or right. it did for like 80% of your professional life. Um, uh, you literally did that for a living for a while. You came back to magic just to like get into the hall of fame and all this stuff, which is also speaks to why the hall of fame needs to come back. I yeah. totally agree with you. Yeah. Um, so why do you play commander, Brian? And he was just like, that's a different thing because like for him, commander is like, uh, designing a game for other people. Like he's looking at, at another another level. Like when I build my deck, I'm actually designing it for a play experience with three other people. So I think there's also a flip side to the argument, which is like, yeah, it is no longer about me. It's about like, are we having a good time? And he also said he has some principles. For example, he says he'll never play tutors and, and commanders. So going to your, your comment about like, why are you not playing the most optimized build? He will go out of his way to not play the most optimized build because he wants the experience to be unique and fun every time. So he's not going to be, uh, doing that. And and I think the fact that Brian fucking Kibler yeah. has that philosophy bill commander should say a lot. Like you don't have to play the best version yeah. of the card in your deck, right? I guess
0: but you know it's funny, the experience you can the, the experience you can design for the other three players can be arch enemy. <laughs>
1: Right. And and Kibler has said he's usually the arch enemy right. when he plays commander because because people are like, that's Brian Kibler, get him.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, I've so He
1: says that's that's also satisfying, he said to beat the other three players. So there's a part of that in his, That
0: was one of the reasons my, my, I would play conspiracy at like conventions or events. And people were like, Oh, do you love it? I'm like, No, oh, I hate it. Because we sit down <laughs> and play play like some random conspiracy pod. People are like, We know him, let's kill him.
2: Get <laughs> <laughs> so
1: and 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 just call me old school. But back in the day, like if someone was doing something that you didn't like, you would just kill them next time. Like first, you just yes. camp on them, and then they'll figure out. Like don't don't play um, uh, stasis or or <laughs> or winter orb. Like because we're all just gonna kill James next time. Like it's very was that you? Were you the self balancing? No, no, I'm not. I'm not. Oh, okay. I never was. Okay. I never was the uh, the 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 grief, the miser player, yeah. is that griefer,
2: griefer, miser? griefer? I don't know. Yeah.
1: Griefer. Yeah. griefer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I was, I was always the, the good old like mid range Delver player. Like I wasn't going to try to control you. I was just going to try to get you to zero as fast as I could. I, I guess I'm an aggro player at heart, but anyways, that's, that's a, that's a whole nother can <laughs> of worms. Um, that's when
0: you're on the <laughs> topic magic podcast, right?
1: <laughs> that that's when, yes, by the way, very seminal, uh, foundational thing. I've very, very much, uh, I don't know how many hours of you and Flores I, I, I had oh, in, wow. my, I didn't realize in my that. year. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I, I I think everybody from that period, because you guys are one of the original podcasts, really. I,
0: as far as far as I know, we were the first magic podcast. But I mean, there, there may have been, I think we were the first.
2: Yeah. Because it was like, yeah. what,
0: 2005, 2000? Uh, 2000...
1: I don't think any. I mean, Facebook wasn't even around. Yeah. <laughs> barely around, barely let around, alone yeah. podcasts. So. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, Brian, um, I guess the last question is like, what's the best place for people to, to find you on, on the internet or on social or where you would like to be found?
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, the easiest place to find me, you know, for now still is Twitter. I, I haven't, you know, made up my mind <laughs> about, you know, what to do there. Just don't
1: tag BDM yeah. on, BDM should be on, the, in the hall of fame, yeah, just yeah. please, <laughs> PSA. Yeah. Uh, I
0: mean, you know, yeah, it's just like a weird, it's always just a weird conversation, right? Don't, don't, like, Anytime you're going to have any kind of subjective conversation about like people and their merits of anything, don't tag them. (laughs)
2: Mm.
0: But uh, yeah, Twitter. So I'm at Topic Games on Twitter. Um, That's generally the easiest place to find me. Um, I don't really do that much else, right? I'm on Instagram, but uh, you know, it's greedy. I'm on Instagram, but it's mostly just photos of drinks. So yeah. I don't really do any magic content there. <laughs> I barely do any magic right. content on Twitter, to be honest. Right, I'm mostly talking about comics, games, drinking, food, TV. Let uh, me ask you a question. I'm just curious, James. And, and I can never do an interview sure. without interviewing the interview, the interviewer. So you talked about the Star Wars uh, card game, and I'm important now. Was it just the card game that drew you to that or was it Star Wars or or was Star Wars something that's like wired into you? Are you like a Star Wars person?
1: Star Wars is something that was wired into me at a very young age. I had all the, uh, the nineties era, like, uh, I think it was Hasbro or Kenner, like action figures. I had, uh, read all the novelizations, like a good nerdy kid. Like, I think I read, uh, like the Thrawn Trilogy, I read like all the, all Tim- the Expanded all Universe the Timothy stuff. Zahn stuff. Timothy Zahn, exactly. Yeah. I read, uh, I read. I mean, I was a big Trek person as well, okay. but, I, but Star Wars is definitely first. Um, what's really funny is that I, that's definitely how I got into Star Wars, but I but I got really into the CCG because it was in a period of time, as you know, where there was not a lot of open information. So I felt like my Star Wars CCG career was a bit like playing Magic in the '90s. Like people didn't know anything about how to play Magic. Like if you actually knew what Temple was or how to build a deck or the actual degenerate strategies, because that was not a balanced game, not a balanced game at all. Um, it was pretty wild, actually, back then. It was. I mean, Magic was wild too, because we had all these like crazy things that you read about. But uh like, you know, the first time someone played Necropotence, right? Like what what the heck is that? That was that was worded the most card worst card in the set yep. by uh, Inquest magazine. I remember um, the first time someone played remember. it against me. I was like, what the heck is this? Yeah. Like, um but yeah, Star Wars was a, a lot like that. It was the Wild West. Nobody knew what was really happening except for like maybe three of us in the room. So I was very young and impressionable and I really enjoyed being hyper competitive in that game. And that's how I got some success um, you know, playing so I, I, I remember, okay, so just just really random story. Like um, there were basically three of us in Vancouver, Canada that were like any good at Star Wars CCG. And I think the three of us made top eight at a regional tournament for Star Wars in Calgary. Like we actually all flew to Calgary, Canada, another province to play. And I think my friend and I in Vancouver actually played each other in the finals because it was like, it was like, it was like, that was how it was. It was like magic. Like, if you knew what you were doing, because 99% of people didn't know what they were doing, it was just wonderful. I mean, the game was degenerate, it was broken, it was not balanced, but I had a lot of memories just being hyper competitive. And, and strangely enough, I am actually now sort of burned out of Star Wars. Oh.
2: Like,
1: I actually didn't watch Episode 9 for like a year after it came out. Okay. Um, I didn't watch The Mandalorian until a year after it came out. I, it just got to the point with the new uh, reboots and stuff that I'm just like, this is too much. Like, there's now it's kind of my policy. I just don't <laughs> watch things that people talk about in pop culture for like at least a year after it comes out because I just don't want to bother with All it. All
0: right, well, I'm going to tell you, Andor is fucking great.
1: I have to watch Andor. Huh? Andor, okay, is, I got to get back in the saddle.
0: Andor is. Uh... Yeah, you know, I, I was just reading somewhere in an article. They said, you know, everyone was so busy trying to figure out if Rings of Power or House of the Dragon was the best show on TV right now, and it's mm-hmm. really just mm-hmm. Andor. <laughs> it, it is.
2: Wow. It is. It is. Okay. It
0: it, it is like.
1: It, I sure did not hear that about Obi Wan, which is, by the way, I've also not watched. I, it's
0: yet. you do not need to watch Obi Wan. Obi Wan was Obi Wan was not <laughs> Obi Wan was not very good. Like it, it's just that mm. it's it's. It's got a lot of weird, like, late season Game of Thrones logic about how people tra- travel and move and, like, yeah. and everything's preordained. And even though some stuff's preordained in, in in Andor, because it's a prequel to Rogue One, it is so about the details. It, it, it It's the yeah. most grounded piece of Star Wars fiction that we've seen. Think, really? Yeah, it, it's hard for me to describe. It really feels like, to me... And this may be not going to sound like a, a a ringing endorsement for people. It almost feels like Francis Ford Coppola is the conversation or like, like it's just like these really like kind of like small moment, heavy details. Um, people really f- having complex inner lives. It's
2: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> it's fantastic. It's just unlike I, anything I, else. I, you've I, seen. So the reason I was setting you up for that I, is I, I was I need curious to watch if you'd seen that, it.
1: No, no, I, but it sounds like I'm I'm missing out on something. Yeah, that it's, I it is something because... really
0: different in in the Star Wars experience. It's, it's by Tony Gilroy. I think that's
1: what I need because yeah, it's by Tony
0: Gilroy who made Michael Clayton. And um, oh, really? Yeah. So it, it's got that kind of like, you know, slow burn. It's 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 wonderful. I, I think you will love it. So I, I'm glad I can I can introduce you to something that might cl- cleanse your Star Wars palette. No, yeah, no, I was just saying, you know, it just feels Uh, Tony Gilroy, right? Yeah, Yeah. Tony Gilroy, who made uh, Michael Clayton, it it just has this real slow burn quality It it is the lowest rated of all the Star Wars shows thus far It it is, it has not found an audience Um, It is It is definitely um, I don't know that there have been a lot of shots fired thus far through nine episodes out of twelve, um yeah, I, I I just uh I really adore it and Diego Luna is just a fantastic actor who um, everything he's been in he's been fabulous in regardless of what language he's performing in
1: is he is he reprising the same character I think he was in Rogue one right
0: yes he yeah he's it's cassian andor he's the 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 eponymous character for the show okay. who who is the person in uh in Rogue one
1: that I I, I... That sounds really intriguing because like I don't want to watch a Star Wars thing anymore where it's just like part of the uh the regular uh style of Star Wars. Like I want I just want stories in the Star Wars universe, which is also why I really enjoyed season 1 of Mando before it became too expensive because I wanted right. Mando to just be what it was, which is like a western, right? right. A, a side story. But then they kind of but I think the problem with all these franchise things is that they have to become temples of the larger universe. So yeah. um I guess I have to enjoy Endor while it lasts. It's Yeah, this like is almost becomes... this
0: is almost deliberately not a temple. Right? Okay. The characters who are here are not characters who show up later in the lore, you know, mm-hmm. other than, you know, you know Rogue One, but you know Rogue One is a pretty clear terminus <laughs> in yeah,
2: terms of where yeah.
0: it goes in in the lore and uh and it is very much what you're talking about there. It's like This has been like a heist film, a prison break story, uh, you know, espionage, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. film, you know, everything but what you would think of as a a normal swashbuckling Star Wars uh, adventure.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: So I'm sure it's turned off about like three quarters of the people who, you know, Star Wars appeals to. But I I think if you're looking for something different, you know, where where you are in terms of uh, your your journey with the brand, (laughs) I think it might be for you.
1: Yeah, I mean this is honestly why I don't watch anything from Marvel anymore. Um I think uh the only superhero stuff I watched in the last I want to say 3 or 5 years has been like Watchmen, which was incredible, honestly. Oh my god. Yeah. Uh and probably the best show I watched in the last 5 years if I'm being honest, and uh The Boys. Because was, it was it's unbelievable. like very it, it's like very unsuperhero-ish. Like I I'm just so burned out of Marvel and Star Wars, but I think this is probably the one that I would check out because it's very un-Star Wars, Star Wars, which is what I need. Yeah, so.
0: yeah, yeah. No, one hundred percent un-Star Wars.
1: Yeah, and uh, um, yeah,
0: it, I just love it.
1: Yeah, and I no, don't it's love. And I, mean... I don't
0: love, and I don't really love any of the other Star Wars TV content. Right, like I've liked some mm-hmm. stuff. I liked Mandalorian. Felt like, but this is this is the one. This is my show in the Star mm-hmm. Wars universe.
1: I, I want the slow, deliberate, slow burn Star Wars show. It sounds like this might enjoy be it. it. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> this is awesome. Thank you so much, BDM. Not only did I have a great interview uh, due to you, not totally. And uh, but also I got a really nice uh, uh, show recommendation. So I, I definitely <laughs> would not have uh, had Andor on my radar were it not for that. So thank yeah. you so much for that.
0: Uh, thanks. Thanks for having me, James. This was great. Uh, looking forward to seeing the episode when it airs. And yeah. uh yeah and then uh hopefully find myself in Vancouver it's some Oh you're not actually in Vancouver anymore right like so
1: No I'm in China but I'll that's I'll right. get back on the west coast in a little bit just to visit family so who who you said, knows you, we'll, we'll... you said
0: Vancouver and I just was like that's an excuse to eat at Miku so
1: Yeah Yes. You do know uh, the Vancouver uh, eats. Yeah. I guess based on your travels. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: I I took a, I I was going into, there was one point where I was going to Canada to, I was uh, to buy insulin, right? It was cheaper to buy insulin in Canada. Oh
1: yeah. Yeah. Certain things. Then it was
0: to buy it with my insurance. And Mm. uh, so I, I like, so I, I, I would travel. And so it was really easy. And I was like, I can just go up to Montreal, drive up with a friend, hang out for a day in Montreal. It's a pretty easy trip. And I'm like, or I could go to Vancouver and have lunch at Miku. <laughs> that's how much I like Miku.
1: Really? Okay. Yeah, well, I'll have to flew- hit you up on some uh, recommendations, <laughs> I guess. You might you probably know more about Miku and uh, Canadian Eats than I do.
0: My Miku is about it. That's all. Like, if I'm in Vancouver, that's where I'm going to go. So.
1: All right. I will forever associate you with Miku in Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs> have, a, have a great rest of the evening where you are, Brian.
0: You, you too. You too. Thanks, James.